the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Hey, this is Scott Snyder. Hi, this is Denny O'Neill. My name is Neil Adams. And this is Paul Dini. Hi, my name is Dan DeDio. This is Kevin Conroy. Hey, this is Francis Manipal. Hi, this is Jim Lee, and you're listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. episode number 157. I'm your host, Dustin, and today I have with me... This is Ed. And this is Stella Gooley. And we are bringing the latest comic news and comic reviews from the past three weeks. That's right, three weeks worth of news, because April, well, I guess March had... They they counted the first Wednesday of April as the fifth Wednesday of March, and they released a ton of books, including The End of Eternal, as well as a bunch of annuals. So we figured, well, why not, since we know Convergence (laughs) starts next week. So... That being said, we have a ridiculous amount of news to go over. We have a five books to cover. Our spotlight is probably bigger than it's ever been before. Um, and we also have a ton of listener Q&A. So sit back and enjoy probably the next three plus Five hours. <laughs> let's hope not. But anyway, all right, so let's get into some news. Real quick, I just want to go over some of the some updates from some of the news stories we had in the last episode. The very first one is we talked about last episode that Joker variant covers were announced for June 2015. Um, and we talked about kind of the controversy around the Batgirl one. Well, as it turns out, on March 16th, DC announced that they are actually going to be pulling the Joker variant for Batgirl number 41 that was supposed to come out in June. Now, the the reason behind this is actually, according to DC, because uh, Raphael Albuquerque, the artist behind the variant cover, he stated that he doesn't feel it's necessary. DC, he, he recommended to DC to pull the variant cover. They agreed, and they pulled it. Um, there was a little bit of controversy in the follow-up to it, including the fact that uh, it turns out DC actually told Albuquerque to make the Batgirl one very extreme, and he did. Uh, he actually had a different version of it that didn't include uh, the tear coming out of her eye, the lipstick on the face, and the gun over her shoulder, um, but he was actually instructed by DC to make it more extreme. Hmm. Take it as you will, um, but uh, that cover will no longer be seen in the light of day. The other news update is we talked about the new Batman redesign in the last uh, episode as well. Uh, there was a there was a cover that came out. Uh, it's a variant cover for Convergence. Um, this is a very a one in one hundred variant cover for Convergence number one, and it's by Greg Capullo. And for whatever reason, I, I well, I'll say that in a second, but. Uh, the cover features some uh, feature design sketches from Greg Capullo for this new Batman and clearly displayed on the actual bat suit, robot, whatever. It has blue and yellow lights like we talked about the last time, but there actually is a GCPD marker on the side of it, leading us to believe that this is actually some sort of connection to the GCPD. The one thing that I just thought was kind of interesting was, for whatever reason, Capullo gets told, hey, uh, we got, we want you to do a Convergence variant cover, and he basically turns in something that he would have had anyway. Don't get me wrong, the character design is is cool looking for a a variant cover for Convergence. Not sure it makes any sense at all, since we all know that Convergence isn't leading to whatever's going to be happening in the pages of Batman after, after the events of Convergence. But nonetheless, 
if you are lucky enough to get your hands on a 1 in 100 cover of Convergence number 1, it features Capullo's sketch, design sketches for the new Batman. It does seem weird that in Convergence, when they're having, what, 15, 25, 35, whatever it is, different multiverses, that that's what they chose to went with. Yeah, I don't know. I couldn't tell you at all. It doesn't make any sense. All right, now... Well, don't you think it's advertising purpose? Well, I'm sure it is, but how many people are actually going to be picking up... Like, let me put it this way. How many places are actually going to be having the 1 in 100 variant covers? As a person who collects variant covers myself... One in 100 covers are almost impossible to come across unless you shop at a large online retailer because they're about the only ones who are ordering 100 copies of any specific issue. Convergence, I feel like, is not going to be that big of an event. So the fact that there's going to be a bunch of people forking out, you know, the the, the cost generally is about $75 retail, what the places normally charge for the one in 100 copies because basically they have to order 100 copies of, I can't remember if it's three or four dollars, let's just say it was three dollars, three hundred dollars worth of comics just to get this one variant cover. So it ends up being pretty pricey. They're extremely hard to come by. They, they've done them multiple times in the past for various other seasons, uh, other, other series, but they're very hard to come across. So I just, I just don't understand the connection between it and Convergence and why they would have done it. Other than they just said, Capullo, we want you to do a variant cover. He's like, oh, okay. I don't have the time to do this. So, hey, here's a character sketch. We'll just slap the Convergence title on the top of this. It's kind of sad too, because it's, it's a bit of a missed opportunity. I'd like to see Capullo do like a, a Gotham else, by yeah. Gaslight Batman or something mm-hmm. like that. So I feel like it's a missed opportunity. On the variant covers, it's funny because my local shop that I, when I actually want to go to a shop that I go to, he actually keeps all the 100 variant covers for himself. So mm-hmm. no one's got well, no one else is surprised. I'm not yeah. surprised. They go up in price really, really they're quick. They're expensive. Yeah. yeah. Because really, you could probably only expect some like major superstores. Like the first one I think of is like Midtown Comics. Yeah. People that probably have a wide range of, obviously you're, you know, you're in the center of New York City, so you're going to have so many customers. So if they'll probably get them and yeah, super expensive. And I can't imagine why you would sell them yourself unless of course you had you had no desire to collect comics but if that was the case why would you be owning a comic shop but anyway that being said i want to jump into some small little news briefs uh these are from around the web this was news briefs that were not enough news for us to report on on the website but figured we need to mention them anyway so the very first thing i've got is on march 18th nerd rage renegades which is a podcast, they released a interview with Scott Snyder, and uh, it was a two-part interview, mostly because, as we all know, Snyder can talk anybody's ear off. But the second part dealt specifically with Eternal and American Vampire and some of the other ones. The first part dealt with Batman, no real revelations, because he actually recorded the interview before they announced what was happening in June, so there was no talk about that. But in regards to Eternal, there was some different things that he mentioned. Uh, he said that the next volume of Eternal will be a different group of writers. Uh, Tinian will be the front runner and Snyder will be overseen, but other writers are involved. So in some ways, this is kind of negating our theory of Peter Tomasi being involved because I have a hard time believing Peter Tomasi is going to take a backseat to both Snyder and Tinian. Just doesn't make any sense to me. According to Snyder, he said he wrote the first few issues and the last issues of this specific volume, but he didn't. Phil, he didn't have anything to do with the middle of it other than just 
overseeing it and being involved in the plotting of it. Third, he, he also mentioned that a third of the way through uh, of the book, uh, of the series, we're talking about like right around, right before issue 20, we're talking maybe like issue 18 or so, he, they, they realized that they weren't going to have enough material to fill 52 issues. And they had to rewrite the middle of the story so that they could fill in the gaps to ensure that they got to 52 issues. I found that quite interesting because, I mean, how many times did we say that that is exactly what it felt like? Interesting, but not really surprising, right? Yes, exactly. And, you know, just like food where mm. th- they use like art. Well, you say that as if it's not going to connect. But, you know, food where they're using like this artificial filler to like make it bigger. Like I just found out that sprinkles sometimes use wheat as just like a filler. I mean, it's not good for you. So these filler things were not really good for us. They didn't really do anything for us. There's your little known fact of the yeah. Da, 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 da. Hey. All right. Uh, <laughs> he, he then also stated that uh, the next volume of Eternal will be shorter and about half the size. So again, that it could be a plus side, especially if they don't have it weekly. If it's bi-weekly, like we mentioned before, would be a great great avenue to do it. Um, if they stick with the weekly. Okay, I guess it's fine. I don't know what the point of having this, a massive thing would be if it's only going to be a half a year. But then again, Earth 2 World's End only ended up having 28 issues as well. So we'll see. Um, he also said that the, like, like has been said before, the, it is meant, the, the next volume is meant to celebrate the history of Robin. Um, then he went on to talk about a couple different other things. Uh, he said that, uh, he never wanted Harper Row to be Robin. Ever. Mm-hmm. Liar. Uh, DC mentioned it to him as it was a possibility, but he never wanted the character to be Robin. Uh, Snyder has a new look for Bruce Wayne and his, his new look is described as much more sexy so that he can give Dick Grayson a run for being the sexiest character in the DC universe. Not no idea what the heck that means. Not Was Bruce having trouble getting a date? I guess, I guess. <laughs> well, in Snyder's run probably because he has very little going on other than the main story that involves him in the suit. Um, and then finally, Snyder affirmed that he absolutely hates writing Damien. No surprise there. Again? Wait, how many times is he going to say it in an interview? Like every interview, is that his tagline? Hashtag I can't write <laughs> Damien. <laughs> well, it was, I think it was a month ago that he mentioned it on Twitter and we brought it okay. up. And it, but it, it is true. I mean, like I can understand because they did something came up about Damien in the interview. They said something about, you know, where's Damien? He's like, honestly, I just don't like writing Damien. So Damien's mm-hmm. really not going to pop up in my books. So, you know, no surprise there. All right. So then uh, the next news brief I want to talk about is on March 26th. Uh, on Twitter, Snyder was talking about his inspiration for stories. And he was talking about, like, how he came up with the idea for Court of Owls, uh, how he came up for the idea of Zero Year. But uh, specifically, they were talking, he, he somehow brought up the story that's coming out in June. And he mentioned something about, now this is, this is paraphrased specifically because our comics, our comic news reporter, Terry Houston, caught this on the, on Twitter as it was happening. Um, about 15 minutes later, when I, when he told me about it and he said, should I write something up about this? I took a look, and magically the tweet had been deleted. He specifically said that something in the regards of the story coming in June grew out of me wondering if Bruce had a private life. What is Batman like outside of the suit? Wait, like, what do you think? Wait, this isn't new ground. I mean, right? It's not new ground, but it's kind of 
possibly confirming that he's not in the suit, yeah. which we have not heard anything about. And the fact that it, he deleted it almost, you know, cements it even more true is, you know, he's not going to be in the suit. Unless, of course, he's it is a robot and he's just running the robot. But the fact that we are combining this with the fact that it has the police lights on it, the GCPD logos pro- uh, prominent, Snyder saying, Bruce, you know, what is Batman like outside of the suit? I'm starting to, you know, narrow down the fact that there's no way that Bruce is in that suit and that it entirely could be James Gordon, especially when we talk about the ending of Batman Eternal. So, all right, the next news brief, uh, we'll, there's there's one more that I've got for Scott Snyder. He had a uh, Q&A on Miller World, which was a forum. Um, specifically, there wasn't a whole lot that uh, he specifically said, but he did say that he is operating right now as if number 50 will be his last issue on Batman. Now, this isn't a surprise. We've heard this before that Greg Capullo is only contracted to do up to issue number 50. Now, the one thing that I guess I don't understand is when Capullo takes these months off, you know, these random months off for, you know, for example, right after Zero Year, he had last August's issue off. And then we had, there was the Batman number 28 where we saw the hints at what was to come in Batman Eternal. How do those issues not get tacked on to his contract if he takes a month off and doesn't work? That's just me. But I know that he was originally contracted through, I believe it was 30. And then I remember hearing about the contract uh, renewal and then it was up to issue 50. And Snyder has said multiple times that he wants to either do the book with Capullo or not do the book at all. Which in some ways I think is kind of odd because it's not like Snyder only works with Capullo and nobody else. He works with plenty of other creators. So the fact that he would just decide, hey, you know, I might have this amazing story, but Capullo doesn't want to do it anymore, so I'm done. I just have a hard time believing that would be the case. But that's what it is. Um, then he says he has nothing planned beyond that number 50 as of right now. So that potentially means that we could be seeing about nine... Per- about nine months of new Batman in that suit if his story ends up being about nine issues long, even though he's promised that we wouldn't be seeing any more of those long stories. He also said that there's a whole story behind who Harper Rose's mother is, but he's not sure if they'll ever get to it. Good now. It's Lady Shiva. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> All right. And then finally, the last news brief I have comes from Peter J. Tomasi. He uh, posted on Twitter on March 27th, that uh, he wanted to celebrate the last issue of uh, his and Patrick Leeson's mm. Batman and Robin. So he stated that starting each day, he'll be take questions for every issue of the series. So he's potentially going to be answering questions on Twitter for 40-something days, including the annuals, um, about his run on Batman, uh, Batman and Robin. Now, now, he did post a little bit later on saying that uh, he had some deadlines and it was going to prevent him from starting it when he initially said he was going to, but it is going to happen. So he could potentially possibly get the answer of when his story all took place in comparison to everything else at some point during his Q&A. So we'll be keeping an eye on that and possibly talking about that on, on a future episode if we have any updates from Mr. Tomasi. All right, so with that, that is going to bring us into our main chunk of news. Uh, the first thing we have is solicits for June 2015 were released. Uh, now, specifically, we've already talked about a lot of these solicitations that were already announced, um, but specifically, 
there's uh, a bunch of different things happening. Uh, we see the impact of Endgame directly with the beginning of the new status quo in Batman number 41, with Batman and Superman both getting used to new circumstance and new character designs of Batman Superman, Superman number 21. Detective Bullock heads up a new task force alongside Renee Montoya in Detective Comics. In Grayson number 9, Dick gets a new partner. In Batgirl 41, Bab seems to struggle with the new Batman. Red Hood mm-hmm. debuts in a new title, Red Hood Arsenal, without Starfire, who is now in her own book. Um, Selena Kyle sees if she can be both Gotham's kingpin of crime and Catwoman in mm-hmm. Catwoman number 41. Um, so then we also get two books, two new looks at Robin, with Damien starring in the debut of Robin, Son of Batman, and Duke Thomas with the hundreds of new Robins taking the forefront in We Are Robin. Harley Quinn deals with the gang of Harleys in her own book while starting a new miniseries with Power Girl. Black Canary starts a new adventure, and Midnighter gets his new ongoing title as well. We also get an all-new look at Batman Beyond with the beginning of the new title in Gotham's Future, while Batmite gets a miniseries of his own as well. The Justice League begins a war with Darkseid, and the Justice League of America returns. We also see Damien visiting the students at Gotham Academy in Gotham Academy number 7, and the GCPD Midnight Shift beginning a new story arc in Gotham by Midnight number 6. All more in the continuation of titles like Injustice, Batman 66, Batman Arkham Knight, and T-Titans Go will all be coming in June. Save your money, because June will come, and you will need to spend it. And I think we're in a really great era right now. I think that maybe I've mentioned this before when we first started with these new titles like Gotham Academy and... um Arkham Manor, which of course is done, I guess now. And, and uh, the, what was that? What's it called? It's not Midnight Shift. What's the other? Uh, Gotham, Gotham by Midnight. Gotham by Midnight. Yeah. I just think there are, there's such a wealth of Batman stuff out now. And I think it's, it's really funny and amazing to think back to three years ago where I think as fans, we were pretty miserable, especially at certain books like Catwoman and things like that. And now it's just like, the wealth and, and the, the great, uh, um, quality of books that are coming out is great. And anyone, so I think we have, you know, all ages titles. I know Gotham Academy and Batgirl is not rated, you know, K plus or whatever it's called, but I, I feel like they're actually going towards younger audiences. And then if you want your supernatural, you have that. So I think it's a great time, honestly, to be a Batman fan and reader in DC comics. Completely agreed. I mean, the reality of it is there's something for everyone, which they've said multiple times in the Mm -hmm. past, but this really does feel like there is something for everyone, especially in the Batman universe. All right, so also on March 16th, the graphic novel and trade advance solicitations were announced. Uh, These are for the months of July and August of 2015. There are several of these are for collected editions of current and former New 52 ongoing titles, including Arkham Manor, Batman Eternal Volume 2, Batwoman Volume 6, the New 52 Futures End Volume 2, Catwoman Volume 6, and New Suicide Squad Volume 1, as well as other collected editions from either outside of the New 52 line or from comics that predate the New 52. Some of these include a trade paperback of the Arkham Origins comic, a collected volume of Batman the Jiroquata Bat Manga, and a new paperback featuring the best of Harley Quinn stories across many different titles. Also worth a special note are the is a trade paperback, Batman, Batman Second Chances, where Batman meets Jason Todd from Batman number 402, 403, 408 through 416, and annual number 11, and a hardcover absolute edition of Scott Snyder's Court of Owls story, going for a great retail price of $99.99. Oh, oh God, I'll have to buy it too. So. <laughs> oh, no. Be I will. Be strong, Ed. Be strong. 
I, I won't be able to say it. I mean, I have all the absolutes, so I'm gonna, I'll have to add this one. I was hoping that it would take another year, but I guess that'll be the new, well, quarter owls, that'll be the first new 52 absolute. So I'm not really surprised that the first story they picked happened to be one of Snyder's. It's actually kind of more interesting that they didn't time that a little bit better to release the same time as the upcoming Batman vs. Robin animated film since it deals heavily with Cordovals. Feels like that was a missed opportunity there because that movie's coming out just in a couple weeks. April 14th is when that's releasing. So, but anyway, that being said, the last bit of news we have on March 25th, DC announced that they will be offering a special hardcover trade collecting a variety of stories that are tie-ins and backups to Scott Snyder's second epic Joker story, Endgame. The Joker Endgame collection will be available in comic shops on September 23rd, 2015, and will include Batman Annual Number 3, backup stories from Batman Number 35 to 39, along with Gotham Academy Endgame, Batgirl Endgame, Detective Comics Endgame, and Arkham Manor Endgame. Um, the price will be $24.99, and honestly, for the amount of stuff that you're getting, the actual price is actually quite surprisingly low, especially since it's going to be a hardcover. Um, the other thing that I guess I find quite interesting about this is that they're going to be releasing the backups and all of the tie-ins towards the end of the story before they actually release the main endgame story. I find that slightly odd. Is that just because it's it's probably because of the delay in, in the endgame being published? Uh, it might be, but I... But see, at the same time, I have a hard time believing that because Arkham Manor, uh, that just released the last issue, the, the, the last week of March, their last issue number six, that is getting a, that already has a scheduled trade paperback coming out in July and, and August or July or August. I can't remember which one, but that's pretty quick when you think about it. So, I mean, Endgame not, Endgame ending, even if it is the end of April and it's coming out, there's no reason it couldn't release in September, hypothetically, based off of that. So, I don't know. Maybe they're just waiting to push it back so it's closer to the holidays. I couldn't tell you for sure. All right. So, the only other thing, as far as news goes, is just running through some of the DCL Access videos that uh, released. There's a couple of different ones that I'm just going to quickly mention. Uh, there's uh, one specifically dealing with uh, June's comics, uh, talking about talking with some of the creators behind some of the new series or the new directions that are coming in June. There's a, there's one with, uh, Brendan Fletcher talking Batgirl Endgame. There's another one with Patrick Gleason talking about Robin, not only his work on the final issue of Batman Robin, but also his upcoming work on Robin, Son of Batman. There's, uh, one with Dan DiDio talking all about Convergence. Uh, there's another one with, uh, an interview with Jeff King talking about Convergence beginning. And then finally, there's one with the DC characters returning for Convergence. So specifically, those, uh, I just want to point out, we will be, con- we will be covering Convergence. Uh, I want to, one, personally thank all of our great comic book reviewers. We are not only covering all of the Bat books, but all of the Bat book tie-in stuff, including Justice League and some of the events. But for Convergence, we're covering a good chunk of the, the entire event including the Convergence main series, as well as all of the books dealing with the Batman characters. So definitely check out the site in the next two months to check out all the stuff related to Convergence. So with that, that is all of our news. There was a a good chunk, not as much as last episode, because there just wasn't as much discussion, but we do have five books. Let's get into our first book, Batman and Robin. 
Batman and Robin, number 40, Superpower, the Dynamic Duo. Writer Peter J. Tomasi, penciler Patrick Gleason, inker Mick Gray, colorist John Kalitz. Answering the call of the Justice League, Damian Wayne now flies among its heavy heaviest hitters on the way to stop a creature attacking an island off the coast of Nagasaki. Ahead of their arrival, Batman scans the creature and discovers that it is completely cybernetic allowing him to give his son a rare okay on inflicting maximum damage to an opponent, facilitated by the emptiness of Ghost Island. It is imperative, though, that they destroy it before it gets to the mainland and harms innocents. Discovering an unknown ability, which is heat vision, Damien partners with Superman in taking down the creature's extremities, so his arms and legs, fellows. Cleverly, he teams with Shazam to shove a radio tower down the creature's throat and use it as a lightning rod to take the brunt of the bolt that comes when Shazam says his own name. This destroys the monster, and despite their pride in him, Damien is still rather arrogant about his being responsible for their success, suggesting that the League should feel free to contact him should he be on should he be needed for a future mission. After Damien has got into the safety of the Batplane, Bruce takes Superman and Wonder Woman aside to thank them for helping to arrange a low-stakes threat so that he could use uh, this situation to drain Damien his, of his power. And returning to the plane to take Damien home, Batman says nothing of the true nature of their mission. So, what a betrayal. Gleefully, Damien regales Alfred with the details of his battle, becoming excited enough to disturb the old man by tossing him around like a toy. Wasn't that fun to see? Over dinner, Bruce and Alfred watch as Damien eats far more than is normal, thanks to his new metabolism, and then he promptly falls asleep at the table. Bruce puts him to bed and discovers that without his knowledge, Damien had completed the unfinished painting of his family, which, gosh, when did we see that, like, <laughs> issue number one, uh, with his adoptive brothers and father by himself. Happily, Bruce and Alfred set the portrait on the wall among the other family portraits. Alfred wonders, though, whether Bruce's plan to drain Damien worked. Bruce hopes it did, but above all, he was proud of how Damien handled himself in the field. Oh, apparently, he's okay with lethal force. Alfred comments that he's proud of Bruce for how he is handling fatherhood. The next morning, Damien wakes with Titus at his side and notices that Bruce found his note and painting after he fell asleep. While examining the empty envelope, he gets a paper cut and realizes that besides invulnerability, heat vision is no longer among his abilities either. Determined not to be powerless, he attempts to fly out the window of his room, and in a fail, he nearly falls two stories. That evening, Bruce admits that he is not upset to learn that Damien's powers are failing. He doesn't know what the nature of Damien's powers was, but he is glad they are gone. Being just Damien is going to have to be enough for his son. Damien admits that it will have to be, but he will, of course, miss flying, as we all would. Alfred interrupts to point out that the bat signal is shining in the sky, and father and son hurry to the bat cave and beyond to face whatever threatens Gotham and nice little silent images. En route, Damien notes that his father is smiling, and Bruce is just happy to be back to normal. Reminds me of a uh, Spider-Man story really? where uh, really? Betty... Well, yeah, yeah, because Betty Brant uh, turns to J. Joe and Jameson and she says, Mr. Jameson, is something wrong? You're smiling! So anyways, this is the end, really, even if we think about annual. So my first question is, what what are your thoughts on the staged fight? The fact that, you know, Batman came up with this in order to really exhaust Damien to a certain extent and to also just have him, you know 
duke it out as much as he could so that perhaps if he went back and so had his powers, he would not be as lethal. So thoughts on the stage fight and then Damien, after everything, just losing his powers. So I thought it was kind of cool that they, in in some ways, when, when we left the last issue, it was kind of strange that Batman was going to team with the Justice League. It was almost like, hey, we're just throwing the Justice League in here yet again. But in some ways, because this is the last issue, it makes it actually seems like a really good place to do it because we've had multiple characters from the Justice League appear throughout the series, as you know, in different stages of different of of the different story arcs and things like that. So I think that them appearing and them, you know, aiding in the conclusion of the story is kind of unique. That being said, the stage fight, I think, I guess the one thing I guess I was looking for was don't get me wrong, I think it. It's, you know, Bruce wanted this to happen. He wanted Damien to not have the powers anymore. But at the same point, I have a hard time understanding how he came to this conclusion that those powers were actually going to wear off. Because I don't remember in any of the previous issues, him, you know, the test that he was doing, being able to actually determine that these were only temporary. You know, he mentioned at some point that they could be temporary, but there was no proof that they were. So the fact that, you know, somehow he came to the conclusion that they were temporary and then concocted this in giant fight so that in, with the help of the justice league so that he would lose his powers i mean it's great that it happened but i guess i it's almost like how did we come to this like we went to this big long lengths we had all the justice league there you know in this stage fight instead of protecting you know the world but at the same point it was all to help damien potentially lose his powers I didn't really have a problem with it. I think it was fine. I think, honestly, I honestly, after reading this, I was thinking, well, maybe this is going to be the rift that is created between Damien and Bruce, where Damien ends up finding out that Bruce did this so that his powers would get wasted away so that he returned to normal and and Damien gets upset about that. And that's why he goes off on his own. And that's why he has his own title. And that's why we don't see those two together. Mm. It could explain, you know, why he wasn't around during eternal. There's a ton of different things, but they never actually showed that sort of resolution with Damien getting upset because they wanted to end the book on a good note. And I think that's fine. I think, they wanted to, you know, end the book with the two of them working together, you know, just Batman and Robin. I think it's a perfect way to end the story, but it just doesn't set up anything. And I guess that's what I was hoping for, even though so many other series that I read left things that, that they, they did the exact opposite. They left things wide open for people to pick up on, which I despised. But this one, I, I knowing what was to come, I would have preferred if they would have had some sort of setup. Uh, I agree with Dustin on the setup parts of it, but, but that being said, um, I'm kind of glad that I would have liked a little setup, but I'm glad they left it on a positive note. Um, we've had so much with, uh, death of the family and other stuff over the past couple of years where it's always been like this negative note, you know, like everyone's mad at each other. Um, I'm glad we don't have a Damien Bruce hatred relationship going on. That would have been, and I don't think it would have felt like the rest of the title that the Tomasi wrote. You know, I remember this was, this book had a lot of really good Damien and, and Bruce parts and especially in the beginning, you know, obviously before he died. So I, I, I'm just glad it was a, a, a happy, a happy ending. Um, I, I can, for, I can forgive the, any other faults in the book for that, but as, as the actual fight, um, I kind of thought the fix was in possibly. Um, but that being said, you know, one of the reasons, one of my favorite books to read, not just this month, but in perpetuity, one of my favorite titles besides the Batman titles is justice league. Cause I do like the team up books. I like seeing a lot of characters on a page. I've always enjoyed it. So, um, 
anytime we can kind of get this big team up fight, even if we know it was a bit of a setup, which I thought was kind of fun, to be honest with you. And, and something that Bruce would do, um, a confidence builder for Damien and a way to tap his powers, um, a double whammy. So I really liked, um, I really liked how this was done in the book. Yeah, I'm, you know, to third everything that you guys said. Definitely, I'm glad that it ended on such a positive note. I, a lot of things I didn't see coming. I certainly didn't see this coming as very much a training exercise. And, you know, this was basically, you know, Batman potentially trying to exhaust Damien of his powers because once that was revealed, I thought, oh no. And then I foresaw something terrible happening. And I'm so glad it didn't. On the flip side, I was thinking like maybe Damien knows. I thought, wouldn't that be a shock that Damien knows this was his father's plan all along, but he was completely fine with it, you know, because he, he trusted his father. That didn't happen, though that was something that I could definitely see because Damien is very intelligent. So I could have seen him realizing that this was this was a big setup uh to you know i'm i go a little back and forth on the the whole power thing obviously we're done with with this particular story in in the life of batman and robin and and he's about to go off on his own i just wonder if there was something else that we could have done with his powers and you know there's been a lot of tragedy as you said ed with the Batman and Robin relationship with Damian Wayne in general. But I just wonder if there, there could have been some sort of scary outcome because if you put all the, I mean, Ra's al Ghul was involved. You had apocalypse and dark side involved. You had this chaos crystal. And I just feel like something, something should have happened that was not positive. And of course, you know, in this, but you know, this is a smaller issue. We had no Talia Al Ghul. So I, I do really wonder what is going to happen with that. And, and because this is closed, this chapter is closed. I feel like she has to pop up somewhere else. And perhaps Robin is that thing. Um, <clears throat> so, but on the other side, I'm fine with him losing his powers and really getting back to the basics of, of Damien and Batman. Uh, well, Damien and Bruce, sorry. And my final question is, and, and it's something that I'll ask, uh, you know, the next one as well is just keeping in mind this one. So not thinking about the annual. How did you like that this issue ended? And if you think of this as really the capstone of the series, how did you feel like everything ended, um, with this particular series? You know, I think this ended exactly where you would want it to end. You know, Damien and Bruce are back together. They're working, you know, they go on patrol together. Damien doesn't have powers, which, I mean, don't get me wrong. I think it's, I did, I do feel like there's, that Tomasi's story got, did get cut short because the series was ending. Whether that was the initial plan or not, I don't know. But the fact that the series ended and he literally only had his powers for only a couple months seems like, there was a lot of build-up to that, only for it to occur for only a couple issues. That being said, I don't have a problem with this, him losing his powers, because he goes right back to being Robin, which is what we all want him to be. So, I think that this and this series ended, because I'm not including the annual as a way to end it, because honestly, when we talk about the annual, I've got a couple issues with it, but this caps the series off in a really good way. You know, we... We started with Bruce and Damien as Batman Robin patrolling. We ended with them patrolling. A ton of stuff happened in between, but it's nice to see them get back to the same spot. Even if there wasn't as much, you know, progression with the characters, because the progression had to deal with Damien dying, Damien coming back, Bruce dealing with all of it. All that progression happened, but we're right back where we started. 
doesn't feel like it was completely pointless because we, but because for this entire time, we've gotten to see the relationship between Bruce and Damien grow, become more than it ever was before the new 52. And for that, I appreciate this series. Yeah, I, I kind of just, you know, I hate to do this, but I kind of just basically agree with Dustin. I think that <laughs> this, I mean, it's, it, it's, it didn't do what I, what I didn't want to have it do. I really didn't want to have this, uh, an, another rough breakup. I was very happy with the way this ended. I, and I think we're going to share some of the stuff on the annual, but, um, I was happy with this as an ending to the series. It does leave a bit of a mystery why Damien has his own solo title and where we're going to see him in the future. I do want to, I would like him to be involved in the universe. So I don't, I think he should be able to show up in detective and, and other stories. But, um, if this is the end of the Batman and Robin title, and I guess it is, then, then I can, I can live with this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I definitely agree because I was a little nervous with this particular short arc just because we really, I think, almost got out of focus because it was so it was so big, you know, with the Justice League and, and then this threat, of course. So I'm so glad that Tomasi just took a moment, you know, at the end for those last six or so pages and really focused in on what the book was always about, because it's not just about Batman and Robin, but it's certainly about Bruce and Damien and just this father son relationship. And I think those last pages are just wonderful because it's it's silent because I feel like to a certain extent you don't need words with these characters. You can see in their actions and their emotions and how they're working together, how their relationship is. And you of course see Alfred and Batcow. So you know you get you get everything in there and and just a wonderful shot at the end. So I you know if you think back to number one, it was a very uh, I'm trying to think of the the turbulent turbulent is what I was looking for. It was a turbulent relationship. And there was a struggle on many levels, just those two getting used to each other. Damien had just gone from, you know, really the tutelage uh, of Dick Grayson. So getting back under Bruce is, is something different. And then father-son relationship. And we see Damien go from a killer to somebody who's more respectful of life. And and then here we have this. And, and I think it was a, a beautiful end to this series. And I think we really, Tomasi really got back to what it was all about. So I think that this was a, a well-done finale for this particular book. All right. So Batman and Robin number 40, I'm going to give... Four and a half out of five bet rings. Wow. Uh, I'm going to go four out of five. I am also going to give a four and a half out of five. And over on the website, Ryan gave it four and a half, so that's going to give Batman and Robin number 40 a total of four and a half out of five bet rings. Let's move into our next book, Batman and Robin. Batman and Robin annual number three, Moonshot. Writer Peter J. Tomasi. Penciler and inker Juan Jose Rip, inkers Jordi Tarragona, and Juan Alberon. While Batman is at the Justice League satellite headquarters, Damien and Titus are trying to figure out how to get up there with a broken teleporter that Damien discovered locked in a safe. And he claims it was a test because, you know, he found it and Alfred said, well, it was locked in a safe. It wasn't meant to be a test. Alfred goes to eat some mint chocolate chip ice cream. While Damien and Titus, after getting the teleporter to actually work, go to the watchtower and zoom around it on a motorcycle. Batman isn't exactly happy to see them, but there is a brief tour around the satellite, complete with a stop at the meets aisle for Titus, when suddenly a camera that is pointed at the moon picks something up. Batman and Robin put on some space gear, and yes, there's even one with Robin's size, and Titus rides shotgun as they go to the moon and land 
around where the first moon landing actually was. Titus, unfortunately, is left in the car, and I think uh, Peter would have a problem with that. The, well, it's not a car, you know, the, that, the little spaceship. The dynamic, too. What, what, the alternative is what? Bring him out and let him burst? <laughs> well, give him a little doggy space suit. Like the dog in Marvel. What's his name? You know, he's got a little space suit. Okay, anyways. Another Marvel reference. Uh, well, I got to keep the fans happy, you know what I'm saying? Okay, the dynamic duo go on a ride on a moon buggy, then go to find another lunar module that was unaccounted for, and they peer in to see three aliens that look like the original astronauts who landed on the moon, complete with NASA uniforms. Batman and Robin are discovered, and the aliens use the thrusters on the module to go to another site, but Batman pins a tracker to its side. Damien plays out a particular scenario that these creatures probably replicated the DNA in the hair and skin left behind by the original astronauts, transforming themselves for years. The duo follows the signal, which leads to a site where the aliens have pieced together all the Apollo lunar module ascent and descent stages and whatever other space debris that they could find and ended up building a larger spaceship to leave the moon and go home, like E.T., to Earth. They board the ship and get surrounded by many more aliens. A fight ensues. The ship begins to launch. Batman kicks Robin out of the ship, literally, and tells him to get back to the Justice League satellite. Robin, of course, disobeys. And he and Titus go after Batman and the ship. Batman is angry. And he will not leave the ship until he sets a new course, which he does to the Kilauea volcano on the island of Hawaii. Batman jumps out of the ship, and Damien uses his video gaming skills to catch him mid-fall with his plane. The team checks to see the alien craft is destroyed in the volcano, and then they stand on the lip of said volcano. And Batman ends up thanking Robin for saving him, and they all they all do, you know, take in the view of the moon and stars, Titus included. And Robin sees endless possibilities, while Batman sees pearls, beautiful pearls. Okay, two questions. They're wrapped up together, though. What did you think of this particular story? And as this is even after, you know, issue 40, was this a fitting end for the, like the last time that we see these two together? So what did you think of the story? Was this a fitting end for the dynamic duo in this book? Great question. I honestly was hoping you'd ask this question. So this story, this story by itself, the story, if you, if you don't look at the placement of the story and it's just a Batman Robin story, perfect. It's a great story. I mean, like, honestly, Batman in space, not, not so great, but it was still interesting. I liked, I, I'm a huge, you know, history buff when it comes to NASA and the space program. So like, I appreciate seeing that kind of stuff, even if it was out of left field for the title. But that being said, this, I mean, it was just a Batman Robin story. That's all it was. It was just the two of them working together. You know, like I said before, you know, we see them, you know, basically on patrol, even if it is on patrol on the moon for in this instance. That being said, I think it's a weird ending. And I feel like the series would have been like, because I was just saying like Batman number four, Batman and Robin number 40 was a perfect cap to the series. The fact that the annual came out a week after that, I don't think it was a good placement for it. Honestly, um, I feel like Batman and Robin should have just ended and they should with number 40 and they shouldn't have done an annual. 
Not that this was a bad story, but the placement of it made no sense because initially when I read Batman and Robin, when it first came out, I was like, okay, you know, maybe, maybe the annual is going to do that lead up stuff. It'll lead into why Robin is going to be going into his own book. You know, will we be understanding? Maybe that's the story that will be told so that we can kind of get the lead into the other thing. But realistically, this was just a story, just a Batman and Robin story. Nothing wrong with it, except for the fact of where, when it was published. If this would have came out, you know, last month before, or it would have came out any time in the last three years, it would have been fine. But the fact that this is the issue that's actually capping the series, just poor placement. So, I'll just leave it at that. I don't understand the point of the story. I mean, I guess it's fine. I, I mean, I don't really like um the moon part. I mean, I like space exploration too, but not, you know, ground this title a little bit would be better. I, I just don't totally get... Really, what what the point of this was? I mean, I think forty was a really good ending, and I don't think that this was was necessary. And and I was really curious when when this came out. Before I read it, I really didn't look at the solicitation or anything. Um, I thought for sure this would be after we had the 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 nice fuzzy feeling, and after after forty, I thought for sure this was going to be the setup for the Damien Solo series. Um, so it didn't it didn't move the Batman and Robin story farther ahead it didn't give us an ending because we already had one and it didn't really put an eye on the future it's not that the story is bad or it's poorly written or i think it's junk it just seemed like a, a lot of page count on an annual uh for a story that i just didn't really feel like we needed i don't know if you can remember back to that one issue where damien in a way sends batman on a scavenger hunt Remember, and he goes all the different places mm-hmm. that, yeah, that relate back to Batman and his relationship with his, well, Bruce Wayne and his relationship with his parents. And in a, you know, I, I think back to that just because I think if you, if this is going to be the ultimate, you know, capstone to this series, then I think it would have been really a beautiful moment and worthwhile to show, you know, some of the interactions between Damien and Bruce and how they grew, uh, which would be bringing back a lot of history, both pre-New 52 and New 52, and perhaps not just, you know, copying panels that we've seen, you know, countless other times, but just making it work really well to show how much this relationship has developed, which I feel like it's it's one of the, the best relationships that we've seen, you know, this new 52. So I, I was very disappointed in this story. I'm one of those people who really want an annual to have a purpose uh, for having this extra page count for making you buy you know, more or spend more money and, and it's not necessarily related to the big thing, but to have a big story that is impactful and to have this be even after number 40, I think even more so it needed to be big. And, you know, again, we're, we're not on in Gotham. We're not in the manor. So I feel like you're, you've all of a sudden displaced Batman and Robin from the, the setting that they are used to and, and, helps him grow. Uh, it's, it's a bizarre story. Uh, we kind of get the, you know, it's interesting because Batman was almost like the reader asking questions like, well, that's the how, right? With the replicating of the aliens and everything, but not really the why. And we got maybe 50% of the why that, you know, they were building this spaceship and to go home. And we assume that it's earth. We don't really know for sure, but why are they even going there anyways? Why do Batman and Robin generally assume that they're hostile? Obviously, they're being attacked, but... And then Batman and Robin basically kill all these aliens, and which I thought was strange because 
isn't that technically still life that, you know, I, I feel like Batman wouldn't have killed other aliens. So this was maybe just cause they grew out of hair and DNA. I don't know. It, it was just very bizarre. And I felt like the only thing that was worthwhile was the beginning because you really got to send, you know, there's Damien. It, it was super fun. Him joking along with Alfred and, and, you know, Titus and then popping up to the justice league satellite, you know, potentially just to be with his father. That was great. Middle stuff. Hey, it's kind of like the wheat in a sprinkle. And then the ending, which, you know, they're standing on the lip of the volcano and they're looking up at the stars and you get that moment where that's why I kind of reflect back to that issue where he went to Paris and, and all those different things because of the pearls. I, I felt like it connected back to Martha Wayne's pearls and everything. And that one pearl that, um, or perhaps he found more that Damien found. Like those were the, the end point, the beginning and the end where, where all that mattered, but everything else in between, I just thought, man, what a bummer that this is what we are left with. So I was, I was super disappointed. And I think if you're wanting to, as fans, you know, and listeners and everything, if you're wanting to end the Batman and Robin series, I actually recommend not reading this and just sticking with that 40. I feel like you're not missing out on anything here. And 40 is really where you can see that beautiful end mo- moment. Of of uh, the son and the father. All right. So Batman Robin annual number three. I'm going to give this one a total of three out of five bet rings. I'm going to give it two and a half out of five. I'm going to go even lower and give it a two out of five. All right. And over on the website, Ryan gave it four. So that's going to give Batman Robin annual number three, a total of three out of five bet rings. Let's move into our next book, Batman Eternal. Batman Eternal number 50, script by James Tynion IV, art Alvaro Martinez. Uh, the issue starts off with, right where the last one ended, with uh, the jet that Batman IOU'd from the uh, Air Force. He's crashed it into Bane. Bane's taken out. Bane says he thought he won. Batman says, ha, this is my city. He'll <laughs> never win. Uh, meanwhile, Red Hood's like, oh, I'm so glad you showed up because I thought you were going to have to hang up my Red Hood suit right next to the Red Hood suit you have in the Batcave. Um, he then says uh, they've got a lot of work to do. Jason's kind of concerned about how where he is at physically and mentally, and he says he's fine. He says that they need to end this. He gets some communications from uh, the Pennies, including Alfred and Julia, and uh, he is now aware of the different areas he needs to go help out with. Uh, we then see a riot taking place at Blackgate when all of a sudden the GCPD show up and they in turn tell Gordon that uh, they're there to set him free. Uh, meanwhile, Penguin, who somehow in the last issue was tied up by Gordon, uh, is now escaped because Killer Croc has jettisoned him out of Blackgate from a boat um, at the at the, the command of Catwoman. Across town, we see Scarecrow, who has basically taken out Batwing with some fear talks. And when Batman shows up and says, I've reprogrammed all your drones, you're in trouble. And he deploys the toxin all over Scarecrow. Uh, meanwhile, uh, we see uh, Alfred and Julia trying to figure something out when all of a sudden uh, they try to tell Batman what's going on, but they're not being able to because Batman is, is he's turned off his communication because he's focusing. Uh, we find out how the fire is all over the place. The fire is, in fact, all over the place because Firefly is literally just setting everything on fire. Uh, we then cut to Batman, who has now helped Bluebird uh, take down Mr. Freeze by shocking him. 
Um, we then see him steal Freeze's freeze gun or whatever you want to call it, his, his cold gun, so that he can go take down Clayface so that's Red Robin's uh, freedom. Uh, meanwhile, uh, there's one left, but nope, nope, there's not one left because Batgirl was able to take down Joker's daughter all by herself. Thank God. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> uh, we then see the city on fire. Batman is, you know, pretty ticked about all of this, and he says, I don't understand what's going on. I cannot figure out who is behind all of this. And uh, Julia breaks in and says, listen, you need to see this. Um, it ends up, it's a picture of the bat signal on top of Beacon Tower. And he says, I need to go there and finish this once and for all. Meanwhile, across town, we see Gordon, Bard, Sawyer, and Bullock all watching the city burn on f- burn. And he says, uh, and Gordon says, we've got to get to work. Uh, at Beacon Tower, Batman approaches where someone in the shadows is talking about, yeah, you, you couldn't have put it all together. And the reason why is because, uh, you, you just didn't follow the clues. And out of the shadows emerges Clue Master. I'll say this, okay, so there was a, there was a couple different things. I thought, as far as the villains being rounded up and Batman basically being the solution for all of these characters, I think it's, I think it was in some ways slightly odd. I mean, obviously Red Hood versus Bane, I don't really see Red Hood by himself being able to take down Bane, especially since Bane was in some sort of mech suit. The problem is that Batman also happened to have to help out everybody else. The fact that he had to freeze Clayface to stop Clayface from getting Red Robin, I found a little disconcerting considering we've seen in the past that they have freeze grenades. Why wouldn't Red Robin just have had one of those and chucked it at Clayface and ended it right then and there? Um, Batman helping Bluebird, completely understandable because Bluebird's not as highly trained as, as everyone else. So, that, there was that. I love the fact that, uh, Batgirl was able to take out Joker's daughter because honestly, if Batman did have to go help Batgirl take out Joker's daughter, that would have just been giving Joker's daughter more, more than, more, more credit than that character ever deserves. And it would have been insulting to Batgirl. Exactly, that too. So, and I loved her comments that she said, she's like, oh, well, you know, what can I say? I've, I've imagined myself punching that face, you know, for a long time. I thought that was, that was really good. All of that being said, um, let's just talk about the villains and the stuff leading up. We'll talk about, you know, the, the red, you know, the, the big elephant in the room at, at the end of the title in a minute. Um, I mean, I mean, it was just kind of like a wrap up to me. I, I really, I, I do think the Batgirl scene was, was probably the, the, the best one. Um, I would have been okay also with Batgirl coming back and saying I accidentally killed her. I think that'd have been fine. I think we could have moved on from that point pretty easily. The, the Bane, the, I never got the Bane, the mech suit. I really, really never got that at all, to be honest with you. I mean, Bane is the type, I mean, if Scarecrow had a mech suit, that would almost make sense. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, Scarecrow is not a, a physically imposing character. So I'm not 100% sure, really, um, why that kind of went the way it did. But, you know, I think it was fine. I think that we're getting very, very close to the end of Eternal here. I think we had X amount of villains on the loose, and we need to get them tied up, and that's kind of what they did here. Um, I disagree with some of the direction, but I don't think anything was was horrifying or terrible. I think I would have done things a little bit differently, but I think that for what we needed to do, this was fine. I, I think it's great that Batman com- well, I guess good and bad. That Batman comes to clean up a lot of the a lot of the heroes. I, I think it shows him in a stronger position than he has been, or at least it seemed you know, the past couple issues because I mean that previous issue wasn't it when he was like breaking down and saying you know I don't know who it is I don't know who it is or is that one coming up no that was that was here it oh, was okay. in this one it was right after Batgirl makes this you know smart remark right. about punching Joker's face and he's like quit joking around we need to yeah. figure this out 
Okay. So, I mean, there, there are moments throughout this series that kind of a bad portrayal of, of Batman just because, I mean, he's thrown for a loop. You expect him to be on top of everything. Something's getting out of control. So in this case, like he's, he's using his rage, of course, which is always dangerous as the Jedi tell us. But, but I think, you know, you finally see him gaining some sort of control to a certain extent and, and taking down these big characters. Um, I, I also feel like it's bad because Goodness, shouldn't uh, Luke Fox be able to take out the the Scarecrow? Um, <clears throat> I, I kind of felt bad for him. I mean, if if you're going to do that for for Batgirl, let you know, let her handle it, which definitely she should have. She she has more tenure under her, more years under her than than Luke does. But my goodness, he's in a suit. I feel like Scarecrow is not a fighter whatsoever. So I, I don't know. Even with the fear toxin, I think goodness, couldn't you? Uh, couldn't you have taken him down? But a lot of it is just wrap up. And, and I wonder, you know, to myself, what would it have been like if you had been able to get rid of some things in the previous issue and had it wrapped up then and then gotten rid of this and, and just push that, you know, push that storyline? Because really all it was was we're finishing the fights that we had started maybe two issues ago because we first saw everyone, you know, the different bat family members going to find the villains and then the next issue was the start of the fights and so here we have the finish so we have three issues to do fighting i i mean as comic book readers we like fighting but i don't know if we necessarily need it to go on for three different issues it reminds me of a suicide squad arc that i read that took place on apocalypse so you know overall great to see the people down great to see batman angry batman and and cleaning stuff up and I'm glad yes that Batgirl is not going back to the Silver Age when she can't get no respect and I also liked the Penguin Croc moment uh, <clears throat> just because it's so weird it's so weird to see those two characters riding away on a boat but I think it's awesome when you see the the closure with this uh, I guess it's in 52 so you know it's an okay issue but again I just feel like it's the wheat in our sprinkles I just you know I want the, the story, the big thing, the big bang was at the very end. Well, yeah, didn't you? At least I got the feeling when I was reading this book that the, the, the part of the book we're talking about right now, I simply wasn't paying that close attention to. It was like, let's go, right. let's go, let's go, let's get to the, right. you know? I mean, I really just feel like that. I mean, I know I shouldn't, but that's just me being totally honest. I was like getting through as quick as I could to get to the end. And who takes down? Firefly, did I miss that? Or is no, just... they never showed. Okay, he's just uh, burning things. And no one's taking. <laughs> maybe, maybe Killer Moth pops up and he's a vigilante for one episode, one issue. All right. So the other, obviously, the big thing to talk about is Clue Master. So mm-hmm. okay, I, I'm going to look at this from the perspective of only this issue because obviously there's other things that are revealed in the next issue regarding Clue Master. But when Clue Master was revealed into the in the third to last issue, or the second. Yeah, this, the, this, the third to last issue of the series as the big bad, I almost was, I almost wanted to punch my computer screen, which is where I was reading the comic online at the time. Um, because I could not believe the fact Clue Master was the big bad behind all of this or the fact that they were throwing yet another red herring into the mix. Yeah. This late in the game. I was just getting so frustrated with this because for the most part, other than Clue Master popping up at the end, which we know there actually was a reason why he popped up knowing the next two issues, 
Other than him popping up and Gordon getting out of jail, there was, again, nothing really that happened in this issue. Yes, they're just wrapping up something that that started just a couple issues ago. They created a storyline that only, or a story, small story arc with this, all of the allies are, you know, going against these villains, but that only lasted for a couple of issues. So they're, they were basically wrapping something up that they just put in place, you know, not even a couple weeks ago. So it, it didn't really feel like anything was happening. So to have Clue Master as we're now getting into like the nitty gritty of the, the end of the series, Clue Master is the revealed as the big bad. And then we have nothing else really happening other than let's just close up some, you know, let's close up some gap, you know, plot plots that we have still open that, uh, we, that we just created. It just felt unnecessary. So I was very frustrated with this issue in general. That being said, Clue Master, just going off of what we're shown here, him saying, follow the clues. It's been in front of you the entire time. I went back and I looked through some of the clues, and in no way, shape, or form does it point to Clue Master. And I actually would love to get Tinian in a, an interview because he was the front runner basically, of the series, and I would love to hear the clues that they're referencing that, you know, were so, you know, prominent and everybody knew. Because the thing is, like... There's there's so many different things that have occurred, specifically just in the last couple of issues. Stephanie Brown saying that she she has to reveal she you know, she takes that that uh flash drive to Vicky Vale and says, This is this is everything you need to know to, to reveal everything that's going on. But if she didn't realize her dad was the real the real big bad from the beginning and she thought it was Bruce Wayne, what was she actually revealing? She's not really revealing anything, in my opinion. So I mean like there's there's a lot of problems, and a lot of them are created in that chunk where we know that Snyder, based off of what we talked about earlier, Snyder and them ran out of, you know, stories to tell in their 52 issues and decided to rework it to better fit within the given 52 issues. So, I feel like the clues that they're referencing are not real clues to begin with. Like, I thought it was it was kind of a cop-out that he said that in general. So, thoughts in general on... Clue Master being revealed as the big bad at the end of this issue. Okay, this is the way I took it. Not that I I like the way I took it, but this is what I took it. I I thought that him saying, you know, the clues were everywhere was the fact that there was so many clues that didn't make any sense, right? That since they were just a bunch of random clues, it would lead to the Clue Master, which is asinine. But that that's kind of what I, I took out of it. Um it, it's tough when we're, we're doing this after we've read the, I would be, I would have been very curious to hear what our conversation would have been, been if this had been the last issue of eternal on a podcast, do you know what I'm saying? Like, because we've already read the other issues now. So we, we already know how this is going to turn out. I don't know. To me, this whole thing was, uh, it was unbelievable. And, and like you said, it, it, the worst case scenario was best case scenario. I'm not even sure anymore was that it was just another fake, big bad villain for us to be pulled down and be replaced with somebody else. Um, I didn't like this at all. I didn't, I didn't, I don't know. It, it just, it made me angry for one because I legitimately thought for a good seven to 10 seconds at the end of the book that the clue master was the big bad. And I was, I wasn't going to punch my computer screen. Um, I'm not, I wasn't that angry. I may have thrown it through a window, you know, uh, but I mean, I was, I was pissed. I was like, you gotta be, I mean, for me, the idea of climbing the mountain of eternal of 50 issues and finding out that Clue Masters at the end was to say anticlimactic would be the absolute nicest way I could put it. So I'm glad that we had further issues coming. But for the context of this issue, like Dustin said, it's either 
you're upset because it's Clue Master, or it's just another uh, facade villain. So mm-hmm. uh, again, this is, and I think that the interview you read with Snyder is very telling. I think that there's about I don't know 17 to 18 issues here. You could have done it in a couple of issues and just moved on. Um, so yeah, I, I do think that this kind of prolonged middle, um, our wheat filler in our sprinkles, as Stella would put it, you know, is yeah, I'm on it. it I, I do. I, I do. I just feel like this was more padding. Um, and not necessary. But yeah, like I said, I took the clues as the clues were so random that it could only be the clue master, which I didn't think was a great idea. But that's just how I took it. Uh, what's funny to me is the fact that I feel like uh, when we talked about the end, the end is nigh, it was, that it was coming, that you guys, why well, I guess I shouldn't just point to you two. I think we all said that, you know, wouldn't it be funny if we're introduced another big bad and then by the end another one (laughs) and that's what happens so we've had so many people come out of the woodwork that have been that that have had the label of big bad and like again you know three issues to the end and we we were introduced with another one when i first saw him i thought to myself wow how anticlimactic i think what would have I guess, you know, Clue Master's not my favorite sort of C-lister. Would you say that he's a C-list villain? Uh, Do you think he's lower? Well, he's definitely not B-list, that's yeah. for sure. Okay. C- C- yeah, C-list is probably C or D-list. Okay. D-list probably more likely. Just be- I mean, the only reason he even have a chance at the C-list is because he's the father of Stephanie Brown, who's yeah. much more relevant character or more important character than him. But isn't he really more of like we discussed with Anarchy last time? Anarchy's really more of a Robin villain. Isn't he really more involved in the Batgirl universe pre New Fifty Two? Yes and no. I mean, yeah, like, yes, yeah. if you're if you're just looking at Stephanie Brown as Batgirl, but like he was he was probably more of a Robin villain too. Mm-hmm. That's true. Even going back, going back past you know before Stephanie became Batgirl. So, and even even in in the Batgirl run pre New Fifty Two. Like, other than towards the end of the run, he really didn't have that big yeah, role. No. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, a little anticlimactic. And so what I was trying to do, I was trying to think to myself, if Killer Moth had popped up and he was the big bad, how would I have felt about that? And I think I would have been excited about it, but I also would have asked myself, my goodness, does, does this make sense to me? Um, I think the writers, you know, we can give them some kudos for if we thought that this was the end. This is a very daring move to make someone who is not an AB or potentially C-list villain be this ultimate villain that has come out on top. I think that's a bold move because everyone is expecting a big name to be out there, and it most certainly is not. Though I do wonder, weren't there glasses in the beginning of the – of Batman, whatever. Yeah, which I'm guessing is his goggles. Oh, yeah, I, I think that's what it was. His little, okay. Because they made a Flew point goggles. in the next issue when he punches the goggles and smashes them. Okay. Uh, so thinking back to that. But, you know, I still... My goodness. So I wonder, is Batman being portrayed as weak or like a weaker portrayal of him because he still has no clue who it is? And is that because... Like, is this just a bad portrayal? Clue is that is that the purpose? No clue who it is. Oh, I don't know. But oh, is, is this? Thank you. Is that because he 
he, this is a bad portrayal or is it just because this character is so out of left field that even Batman has no idea that this could be him? So, you know, I do wonder about that because if Killer Moth again, if he had popped up, well, I would have enjoyed it. I, I think that Batman would have been like, he would have laughed. But I, unfortunately, I think Clue Mat, or perhaps fortunately, I'm sure there are Clue Master fans out there. This villain is given far more, I think, than he deserves. And maybe this is the point of it to, to give more respect to this particular character. You know, could the condiment king have, have played this particular role? (laughs) I don't know. We really got where we're going, huh? (laughs) Uh, yeah. So, like I said, uh, I wasn't. I had, I did not foresee this villain happening, uh, as, as I guess we can say this issue, the ultimate villain. Uh, I was slightly disappointed just given who he is and it wasn't Killer Moth or Condiment King. But again, I think it was just a bold move for the, the writers to go in this direction because it isn't someone that you would expect and it is a lower listed villain. Yeah. I mean, the basic thing for me, Clue Master, as I said, I was kind of ticked about the fact that he could be the main villain. But we're going to get into the next issue and we'll realize very quickly that it wasn't. Although I will say that once once this issue released, there's a bunch of interviews that Tingin did, very short, very, very short interviews that he did with like Newsrama, MTV, um, a lot of different news sites. And he everybody kept saying, is Cluemaster really the big bad? I mean, come on. You've basically said that everybody's the big bad from, you know, the middle of the series forward. So how can, can, can we even really believe you if you said it is? And he basically didn't say he wasn't, but he specifically said, well, there's still two issues left. So, you know, d- you know, so anything could happen. So at that point I was like, okay, yeah, okay. Something has to happen here where it's not Clue Master. Yeah. But we'll yeah. get into it in the next <clears throat> issue. I really can't. If, if I could have one phrase that comic book writers or just people, writers in general for television shows could just stop saying anything could happen. It's fiction. <laughs> You're writing the narrative. Of course, anything could happen. You know, like I just, yeah. I don't know. I just hate that trope. It drives me crazy. All right. So Batman Eternal number 50, I'm going to give this one a total of three out of five batterings. Two out of five. Three out of five. And over on the website, Ryan gave it two, so that's going to give Batman Eternal number 50 a total of two and a half out of five batterings. Let's move into our next issue, Batman Eternal. Batman Eternal number 51, script by James Tinian IV, art by Alvaro Martinez. All right, the issue starts off with Bruce being chained up to the bat signal and Clue Master cutting the bat symbol from his chest from the bat suit and exposing his chest and a deep enough cut to make him bleed the bat symbol on his chest. In addition to that, we see that Clue Master's gang of misfits are now in the bottom level of Beacon Tower, making sure that nobody can get in. Um, Clue Master basically explains that you probably don't even remember my name. It's been so many years since you stopped me. He says, oh, Clue Master, Arthur Brown. He goes, and Batman says, uh, you're a second-rate Riddler knockoff who never could pull this kind of thing. And uh, Clue Master says, ah, ha-ha, Nigma never got to the point you did, not even during Zero Year. So, I mean, obviously, he's he's pretty full of himself, and then he decides he's going to remove the cowl from Batman's head. He then, he then sees, he says, well, Bruce Wayne, huh, that certainly explains a few things. He uh, chucks his cape and cowl off the tower and says, uh, I'm going to 
you know, take you out piece by piece. We then see uh, scenes across the city of the allies trying to help, but they are not being able to take care of everything. At the Egyptian nightclub, we see Selena having a meeting with a bunch of the crime bosses, and they basically say, this is the perfect opportunity. We need to be, you know, stealing everything we can. We need to get everything we possibly can, because we all got an invitation that says we can take and loot whatever we want. So why aren't we doing it? And she basically says, really, okay, well, you can't do anything that I tell you until I tell you you can, because you work for me. Um and uh, she asserts her authority by basically using her whip to pull him across the table and smash his nose. All right, so cutting back to Beacon Tower, we see Cluemaster explaining his entire plot. He says, years ago, he was with a bunch of his other misfits, and uh, it was the night of a, one of Joker's big schemes where he decided... They were all talking amongst themselves and said, you know what, what if we, the, you know, the misfits, the people that nobody really expects, what if we planned a major heist in the midst of a big villain doing something? Nobody would even know because everybody would be too busy with the, you know, the big thing going on with the big villain. We could get away with it. And the reality of it was that that idea stuck with Cluemaster all this time so that he decided it was something that he needed to do. Uh, meanwhile, Bruce uh, ends up getting... Some sort of, he pulls something from his sleeve, whether it be a pick or I don't know what it is, but, uh, we then see that, uh, Cluemaster basically says this all came to him because all he had to do was send out invitations inviting him. All he needed to do was to get some crappy Mad Hatter tech to make Jim Gordon pull the trigger and get Jim Gordon out of the picture and everything would fall into place. And then all he needed to do was send out the invitations and then finally give uh, access to all of you know, Wayne Tech stuff to the, you know, some of the villains to really put Gotham in the ground. Uh, we then see that Bruce, the cut on his chest is bleeding pretty badly. Uh, Bruce then, he breaks one of the chains. I don't know if it had something to do with the thing in his sleeve or not. They didn't really show, but he punches Cluemaster in the face. Meanwhile, at GCPD, we see uh, Gordon and Bard and Bullock trying to plan their, you know, what to do. Bullock, uh, or Bard explains that he was able to get everything that the, that the commissioner ever wanted, uh, from the governor because he was able to, uh, we're talking about spotlights. Uh, we're talking about, uh, four on every roof of, of every precinct house in Gotham, uh, not to mention a CCTV block at every stoplight in the metropolitan area outfitted with an emergency broadcast announce system. Uh, I say all of these details because it'll come in handy the next issue. Uh, then Gordon says, we need to get to work. Uh, come on, Bullock. And Bard says, no, you need to stay here. Gotham needs you. And he goes, no, 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 no. The reality of it is when I went all those days, all, all that time ago, when I went to Detroit and interviewed you, you knew that you wanted to make Gotham a better place. Even if it wasn't Gotham at the time, you wanted to do something to make the city a better place. Now's your time to do that. Regardless of what you've done in the past, it's your job to do this. Uh, we then see Sawyer come in and says all of the men are ready to go. And he says, okay, well, we're going to take back the city precinct by precinct. Let's get started. Meanwhile, across town, Bluebird just saved a little girl. And uh, she's catching her breath when Stephanie appears on a motorcycle and says, I'm getting out of Dodge. Uh, <laughs> and Harper's like, you don't understand. This is not the time to be bailing. And uh, Stephanie's like, you don't get it. You're not Batman. I'm not Batman. We're, we're, there's, there's no reason for us to stay here. So Harper says, you just don't get it. 
and uh, she calls for, you know, she calls to the cave and asks where she needs to go next and tells Stephanie, if you're trying to get out of the city on your bike, best way to go is to take take the Trigate Bridge. Meanwhile, back on Beacon Tower, Bruce is beating the living hell out of Cluemaster when all of a sudden something approaches and uh, gasses a bunch of the, all the, the, you know, misfits on the bottom floor of the Beacon Tower. And uh, Bruce has uh, Cluemaster chained up Continues to beating him. Cluemaster explains, I'm so glad that you're able to beat, beat me up because the reality of it is nobody downstairs is going to believe me, believe that I was able to do this if I don't have at least a couple hits on me. Um, he then pulls out a gun after punching Bruce in the face and says, isn't it kind of ironic that you're basically going to die just like your parents did a couple, couple blocks away? Hmm. How convenient. Um, as he's about to shoot him, all of a sudden somebody slips behind Cluemaster with a knife and says, that's right, Arthur, just as easy. It slits his throat. As Cluemaster bleeds out, laying on the floor, he's, he mutters, not, no, not according to plan. As the mystery figure emerges from the shadows, he says, well, your plan maybe, but I've always had a plan of my own. Hello, brother. Are you ready to end this? As we is revealed that the person in the shadows is none other than Lincoln March. All right, so... I want to say one Lincoln March. We called that. In some ways, I think, and there, there's even more of an explanation of Cluemaster's involvement in all of this in the next issue, and it plays out a little bit better uh, than than just revealing Lincoln March is the person behind it, because you're still not understanding why Cluemaster has these these ideas of grandeur, saying that he's behind everything if he if Lincoln March is actually behind everything. So. It's explained a lot better in the next issue, but I will say this. Um, there's a, there's not really a whole lot that happens in this issue other than just Cluemaster detailing how this is a possibility of him being the big bad and then the reveal of Lincoln March. So in general, I feel again like this issue really did a whole lot other than just fill some pages to reveal the Lincoln March thing and they had to kind of fill the pages to kind of make it so that Cluemaster, the reveal of Cluemaster in the last issue didn't come across as completely dumb. I guess my two questions, we can answer them at the same time because there's not much for either one. First question is, so Cluemaster's dead. Stephanie Brown's father is dead. That's in some ways, even if he is a sealist villain, he, that's, that's, that's big. That's sad. Because that's a character that, you know, has had a decent role in the books since the nineties. Uh, n- not like he's been around every year or anything like that, but he's a character where if you saw him, you would know who he is, especially because he's Stephanie's dad. The fact that his, his throat just gets slit thoughts on that. And then the other question is, you know, Lincoln March behind it. Now, knowing that we've obviously all three of us have read the final issue revealed that Lincoln March is behind it. Thoughts on just the reveal itself? Well, I'll touch on the death of uh, Clue Master uh, first, I guess. Um, you know, it's weird because we spent the last, uh, you know, 20 minutes panning him, right? <laughs> and now we're talking about his death, which, again, I think it's more of an effect for Stephanie Brown than it is anything else. Um, mm-hmm. I, I don't think we'll ever see, like, a Clue Master resurrection arc, probably. Uh, oh. and, and never say never. You know, but I, I, I doubt we will. Um, I think that this is going to, you know, have a very different a feel on Stephanie. Um, I don't know where we're going to see Stephanie's character go, though. I don't know where she, what title she's going to be involved in or anything like that. So 
I'm not even sure where the next evolution for her character really is going to come from. Um, but I think that this, this will affect Stephanie, um, in, in greater detail, uh, and make her a little more like Robin from Free New 52, because Robin's parents are still alive on witness protection or whatever they are now. Um, yep. So she'll be the one with the dead, with the dead dad. So that could be a bit of a flip on some, some classic Robin spoiler stories. But, you know, I think that's kind of, kind of where it is. On Lincoln March coming out, two things happened when he came out. One, it was a, it was a relief that it wasn't Clue Master, to be very honest with you. And then there was that sinking feeling of, wow, Dustin had this one right. You know, so that was there as well, but it was fine. Um, I think it was such a relief that Clue Master wasn't the bad guy that anybody could have stepped out and slit his throat, and I almost would have been okay with it. Um, but it, the reveal was handled very well. I just feel like it could have happened 10 issues. You know, I can't say 10 issues. Really, it could have happened three or four or five issues ago, and we could have had a lot more ending, meat to the ending. It could have had a multi-layered uh, ending as opposed to the kind of way it wrapped up. So uh, the reveal was fine. I just wish it happened four villains ago. Yeah, I mean, I guess they wanted to keep us guessing for as long as possible, and they certainly did. Um, you know, I'm glad at least that it was explained how Clue Master got to this point, and, and in the next one, I think we get even more elucidation there. So it's not just like he was this random, we're going to do this. It, it seemed like there was some lead up there. Though it's unfortunate. I feel like there's a parallel somewhere that I could reference. And not necessarily Marvel, but I feel like I don't think it's... It could be Game of Thrones. Uh, but just, you know, where this character is introduced and the only purpose is for them to die right after they are introduced. I feel like that's something Game of Thrones would do. Oh, yeah. But... Oh, uh, <laughs> But it's, it's, uh, it's just very unfortunate that, you know, he's undergone all of this and then just tossed out like a, ba- I mean, basically like a bag of garbage, like, psh, well, I'm done with you. Like very much just, he, he was used. He was basically a tool, uh, for Lincoln March, I would say. I mean, what Lincoln didn't have to get his hands as dirty. So it, and it, and an interesting way he sort of parallels the Hush Jason Bard relationship because Hush was using Jason Bard to a certain extent or so we believe. So here, you know, he gets to the point that Lincoln needs him to get to and then, Hey, I'm done with you. Goodbye. So, uh, <laughs> no one says, no one says. So, yeah, I, you know, I feel for, it's interesting, you know, if you are wanting to build up a, a cast of people that have been pre-New 52 in this New 52 universe, which I guess at some point we're going to have to stop calling it New 52, but if you're wanting to build up this cast, now you're getting rid of them. Uh, so, you know, is the universe, <clears throat> is the universe going to be any different without Clue Master? No, uh, but, but I think, at least his appearance or presence was what brought Stephanie Brown in there. And I think that is the positive outcome for having this character here. And I think, you know, especially given the next issue that there's a lot that her story can do. Um, however, her mother's a bit of a deadbeat, it seems. Um, yeah, so it's tragic for her, but it's not like they were on the best of terms anyways. And this was very much how she was before because, I mean, getting raised by a villain or having a villain for a parent, like, that's a huge thing. And that impacts how you decide to live. So, uh, yeah, so I, I think that the big thing is Stephanie Brown, but I am disappointed, I guess, that we get this big reveal and then he's thrown out and then we've got another big reveal. Because I guess, I mean, I guess the other thing I'm disappointed in is now that we finally have Stephanie in, in the universe and she's been gone for most of it, 
of the new 52, whatever we're calling it now, post-Flash. I've noticed on DC's website, they are, they're starting referring to it as the post-Flashpoint universe. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, that's because they're getting rid of the new 52. As Tagline, the yeah. So I guess, the, I guess we'll, we'll start using the official nomenclature. The, uh, the post-Flashpoint universe, I think this is a, this is a bit of a, and I wouldn't care if he wouldn't, if he stabbed him or cut off his arm or knocked him out. I don't, I don't have a emotional attachment, but with Stephanie in the universe, I think you're, you're having a serious misstep here where, a really good story could have been, um, I mean, maybe one of those six issue miniseries we're always talking about, Dustin. You know, it could have been yeah. Stephanie going after her dad and bringing him in. I think that's, we're missing a story that could be very good for Stephanie with this kind of casual killing of her father. And that's the only thing I'm upset about. Yeah. I mean, the thing, the thing that I thought was, I don't understand the reason why he needed to be, have his throat slit. Cause I mean, that's like finale. He's dead. Dead, dead. There's, yeah. there's no way of getting around that. It's not like if he just got stabbed in the back. Which would have been more appropriate, in my opinion. He got stabbed in the back and he was bleeding, but he's not necessarily dead, but he's out of the picture. That would have been more appropriate because then they could have had him, you know, taken to a hospital. They could have involved Stephanie's mother, who we still don't know whether she's good or bad. They could have done something with it because, you know, Stephanie's mom works at the hospital. So, I mean, there's ways, there's things that they could have done with the character. Them just killing him. It does seem, like Stella said, it just seems like what was the point of, you know, number one, what was the point of having him as the big bad, whether he actually was the one behind everything or not? For a hot five Only, yeah, only for that, for that short of time and then killing him off. It just, it doesn't fit. I just feel like they should have done something. Honestly, I feel like the Sabium in the back would have been the most appropriate thing because of what they end up revealing in the next issue with the ties between Lincoln March and Arthur Brown. So, well, maybe he'll be, that being said, maybe he'll come back as a talent, make us all happy. Oh God, that would not make me happy. <laughs> oh, I don't, want, I don't want more talents. Yeah. Everybody's a talent, bro. Everybody. Yeah. yeah. I guess so. All right. Batman Eternal number 51. I'm going to give this one a total of three and a half out of five bat ranks. Man, I, I hate to be doing this all <laughs> month, but two and a half out of five. <laughs> I do want to, I'm going to get a little bit nerdy on you, but the title of this issue was Nobody. And I would like to make a reference, brief that it may be, to Homer's Odyssey. And when when Odysseus is on the island of the Cyclops and he, you know, he's talking to Polyphemus, he tells Polyphemus that his name is no one or nobody. So that when he ends up stabbing him and like, you know, taking his eyeball out and Polyphemus is yelling, uh, his little friends, his Cyclops friends ask, you know, who did this to you? And he says, nobody, nobody. So I almost wonder if this is some sort of homage to that, uh, because Coolmaster very much is a nobody in terms of the big villains. And now that, you know, all this stuff that happened, if someone were to come and ask or Batman, who did this to you? He could probably say nobody. Cause I feel like was his name even revealed, you know, Coolmaster. And of course, Coolmaster's dead. So who knows? But anyways, um, I'm gonna give <laughs> I'm gonna give it a uh, three point five out of five. That was lessons by Stella. All right, and so that, and Ryan gave it three out of five. So that's gonna give that many tool number fifty one a total of three out of five batterings. Let's move into our final issue of the episode and of the series, Batman Eternal. Batman Eternal number 52, script by James Tinian IV, art by more artists than I would ever possibly imagine, but I'm going to list them off. Eduardo Penseca, Julio Ferreira, Rob, Robson Rocha, Guillemar Ortego, David LaFuente, Tim Seeley, Ray Fox. Uh, colors by four different colorists, Alan 
Pascella, Gabe Elitabob, John Calise, and John Rauch. Um, I hope I said all those names right, but then again, there's so many that does it really make that big of a difference? Oh now, dear. That, that being said, I, before we begin, I will say that despite the fact there are, there are so many artists on this, it does flow pretty well. We'll get into that in a minute, but all right. So 52 starts off with, uh, what we see. This is taking place right around the time of Court of Owls or Night of the Owls, I should say, where Arthur Brown is on his way home and he's on the phone with Stephanie. And Stephanie's saying, you know, you know, what, you know, are, are we really safe with all of these talons out and about? And, and Arthur Brown's like, listen, everything will be fine. They're not going to do anything. Just stay inside, lock the doors, and I'll be home soon. She says, well, Batman will save us, right? Just like he saved you a while back. He's pretty ticked off about this and says, yes, yeah, Stephanie, I'm sure he'll swoop in and save the day. Just like always, hangs up the phone and said, you know, is pretty ticked about this. But he, we then realize that he is in front of Harbor House. He has followed the clues and he has realized who the Court of Owls are and the talents. So he starts shouting. He's trying to find out where they are when he stumbles across their little meeting room where they're all dead from the wine that they drank at the end of Court of Owls. And he says, no, I can't believe this happened. All I needed was money, resources, and I could, with that, I could do anything. Then somebody emerges and says, anything you say? And, uh, we see it's Lincoln March and he says, well, uh, my, my business partners and I had a bit of a disagreement, but I'm coming into quite a bit of money. So start talking, Mr. Brown. Uh, so, uh, Brown says, you know, with a few invitations, that's all it's going to take to start. We then see Lincoln March monologuing on top of the beacon tower in the present time where Bruce says, you know, just shut up. And, uh, Lincoln says, no, I haven't even got to hurt you yet. So he takes him with his jetpack and flies him off the building. Uh, Bruce has got glass stuck in his his back. He pulls out one and stabs in the jetpack, causing the jetpack to malfunction, and then they crash into what appears to be some sort of building. Alfred and Julia are talking about the fact that Bruce is completely unresponsive, that they have no idea what's going on. Meanwhile, we see a lot of the allies still help, still helping around around the city, but they're still completely they're unmatched as far as being able to take care of everything. We say Red Hood somehow is in some sort of rubble. Uh, he appears that he is going to possibly die, and he says, I need you to record something. I need to tell Bruce something. Uh, Batgirl is on her way to what appears to be Red Hood because mm-hmm. uh, she's ex- instructed he's not responding, and she speeds towards him. At the Egyptian nightclub, Selena is asked by Killer Croc, what do you want to do? This is looking bad. And she says, I don't know. Um, and we then see Gordon saying that uh, this has to work. This has to work. Get this going. Punch me in. We see at uh, the base of a building, uh, Bruce grab what appears to be his, his cape that uh, Arthur Brown threw off the building. Not sure if it's that or something else. But he wraps it up, wraps it around him, and gives himself a bandana. Very reminiscent of Zorro, might I add, mm. that, uh, he and, and, uh, Lincoln March is saying, listen, this is all, this is all supposed to happen. I was behind all of this. You know, Arthur might have been the one who planned it, but, uh, this has got to be the perfect place for me to get rid of you. Uh, I'm going to get rid of you so bad that in a couple of years, no one's going to remember Batman or Bruce Wayne for that matter. Um, we then see Bruce, uh, he, he's, he grabs a car door, slams it against, uh, Lincoln March, he's, he's destroying his suit piece by piece, 
And uh, just when it appears that Lincoln has the upper hand and is strangling Bruce, all of a sudden all of the advertisement screens across where they're at suddenly light up with bat signals. And something happens and says, Gotham City, I need you to listen. This is your former police commissioner, Jim Gordon, broadcasting to every street corner in Gotham. I know you're frightened right now, more frightened than ever you've than you've ever been, maybe. But that fear just pushed you to do things you wouldn't do. Or maybe it's just pushed you to hide away in some dark corner. I don't blame you. We've all felt that fear. We all felt that hopelessness. This city, it can take so much from us. It tests us over and over. But this is Gotham City. And this is our city. And when the hell is, un- when hell is unleashed, we don't run and hide. We stand up. There's a symbol. A symbol we all know stands for what we can do. What we are capable of. And then all of a sudden, bat signals light up the entire sky and he says, tonight needs more than just one hero. It needs a city. It needs all of us. Tonight, we all need to do what he does for us every night. Tonight, we all need to be Batman. Meanwhile, across town, Stephanie Brown is, uh, she's seen the bat signal up in the sky and she gets off her bike, uh, her motorcycle when all of a sudden a car almost hits her and someone jumps in the way and hits her so that she doesn't get hit. The guy says, are you okay? And she says, you saved me. And he says, yeah, you're one of them, right? You've already done so much already. It's just like the commissioner said, tonight it's on all of us. This gives Stephanie a whole new meaning on what she needs to be doing. Meanwhile, on the other side of town, we see Batgirl crash through the building and uh, get to Red Hood. Uh, just as it appears that all is going, the building is going to completely collapse, probably because Batgirl just busted through it. Uh, th- it looks like Jason and Babs are going to express <gasps> something for each other. Shepard. When all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Calvin Rose Talon, which we haven't seen in over a year, <laughs> pops out of nowhere and says, Hey, I heard you need a quick escape. That's my specialty. And he gets them out of the building. Uh, Red Hood says, Talon, where the heck? What? What? And then uh, they f- they find out that uh, Julia has called everybody in, including Batwoman. Black Canary, and even Gatano. Uh, meanwhile, on a different part of the, t- in a different part of the town, we see, uh, Jason Bard and Maggie Sawyer trying to help people out of the buildings that are on fire. When Killer Croc busts out of a building holding a bunch of police officers, and Selena's there and says, listen, it's not, you know, a lot of us monsters like to tell each other that we're trying to protect each other, protect our city. It's not about greed, it's about honor. So Bard says, listen, uh, if you're gonna be helping, let, uh, we're going to let you go. We have a city to save. Uh, we then see Lincoln March and Batman still fighting each other. Lincoln March is completely thrown off by the fact that the city is actually rising to actually help instead of uh, cowering in fear. Uh, just as uh, the fight, again, looks like it's going in Lincoln's favor, someone out of nowhere punches Lincoln March in the face, and it appears the person says, I'm Batman. But it's not Batman, it's Stephanie Brown, it's a spoiler. And uh, Lincoln March says, I should have killed you back in the kitchen. Stephanie says, yeah, but uh, it doesn't look very good for you. When all of a sudden we see a nice little splash page of Batman uh, with all of the allies behind him. We're talking Batwing, Batgirl, Batwoman, Bluebird, Talon, Katana, Spoiler, Red Hood, Black Canary, Red Robin, and even Jim Gordon. At this point, Lincoln March realizes there's no way he's going to win. Throws down a smoke grenade and goes into the sewers. Red Robin says, we need to find him. We're going to mobilize and get him. Batman says he needs to get down there and get back to work. Jim Gordon says, no, do me a favor and look up. The city is under control. 
Batman save the day, just like he always does, just like he always will. One week later, we see Jason Barr go to Vicky Vale, and uh, he says, uh, I see you got a promotion, which I'm guessing she's an editor now, but uh, she explains that uh, that's what happens when you when you break stories. Um, she explains that she has a, the story written on him, but uh, she's been editing it multiple times since she's on her 17th draft. He says that he just resigned as police commissioner two hours ago, and Maggie Sawyer has been appointed as his replacement. Um, and he explains that he wants to, you know, basically come clean about everything. And he wants to give an exclusive interview to to corroborate everything that she's going to publish in the story. They head to a bar and he makes a brief mention of, don't worry, there's always work for an ex-cop in Gotham. Uh, meanwhile, at the Egyptian club, uh, Selena Kyle has turned on the bat signal. Batman appears and says, no, you don't get to do this. You don't get to call me. Um, Killer Croc tries to approach when Selena says, no, no, just wait. Um, the reality of it is I, I helped when the war was going on in Gotham. I helped, uh, hundreds of lives. Um, so if anything, you just need to look the other way. And he says, business is business, but, uh, every, every business that you save people from, they're missing a lot of things. He goes, well, and Selena says, well, I'm not sure what you're talking about. I must've been looking the other way. At the Arkham Disaster site, we see Jim Corrigan talking with Batwing about how he really did help out and he did a great job, and he invites him to join the Midnight Shift, uh, as we know, the, the story that's being told in Gotham by Midnight. Uh, in Foundry Square, we see Jim Gordon taking a load off and Bat, uh, Barbara Gordon serving him a drink and saying, I'm so glad you, you, you know, you're out of jail. When you went to jail, I went to a very bad place and I'm really glad that everything has worked out. Uh, across town, we see Jason attempting to call Barbara, but he gets her voicemail and he's attempting to tell his real feelings to her, but he decides to not do it and erase the message. He ends up calling Roy and says, uh, I, I need a pickup. Just come and get me. In the Narrows, we see Cullen and Stephanie Brown screwing around where Harper, she goes into one of her, her, her room and uh, all of a sudden Red Robin appears and says, so how's things working out? She goes, oh, it's working out great with my new roommate, Stephanie Brown. For now, it's, it's working out fine. You know, I don't, you know, I don't know how everything's going to work out in the future, but, uh, I'm just glad that we've been able to do everything we've done. Uh, then we then see a, what appears to be the first meeting of Stephanie Brown and Tim Drake, you know, post Flashpoint universe. And, uh, they have a very awkward moment where it appears both of them are kind of interested in each other. And Harper, she has absolutely no interest in either one of them and continues to crack jokes. Uh, Stephanie then asks, have you ever found the person who killed my dad? And he says, uh, no, he seems like he got away, but, or somebody got him. We just don't know who. So we then see Lincoln March, who is in front of none other than the Court of Owls. And they tell him, you killed our leaders, you stole our money, and uh, then you use our formula for your resurrection for yourself. <laughs> and then you tried to destroy our nest. <laughs> we had such high hopes for you. Well, maybe we'll bring you back in a decade or so if we need you, and hopefully then you'll learn your lesson, as they put him into his slumber. Meanwhile, on the other side of Gotham, we see Batman meet up with Jim Gordon. Batman explains it's been a, it's been a, been a rough couple of years, and, and, uh, Jim Gordon says it, they're all hard years. There's nothing to do. That's what we signed up for. 
just because you came into Gotham, uh, doesn't mean that, uh, you know, anything has really changed. It's always been hard. That's the reality of it. And, uh, he says, he, then Jim says, and don't pretend you just came here for chit chat. I've got a police scanner myself. Scarecrow's breaking out his new toxin downtown. Uh, Batman then says to Gordon, what do you think, Jim? You've got one more in you. And he says, I just might. Why don't we find out? The end. So, Eternal 52. So, there's a ton of stuff that happens in this issue, obviously. One, because it was an oversized issue. And two, because they wrapped up everything they possibly could from the beginning of the series up until now. So, first thing to deal with, we have uh, Lincoln March and Batman. The, basically, what I want to talk about is the conclusion of their fight. Because the fight itself, other than them just talking to each other, there wasn't a lot that happened. I mean, they were just beating each other up. So the the conclusion of the fight where Lincoln gets thrown off by the bat signal and Jim Gordon, you know, calling, basically calling for the arms of everyone in the city to raise up against everything that's horrible that's going on, that throws Lincoln off. The kind of is, in my opinion, the turning point in the fight. And then we see everybody show up, including Stephanie Brown. Everybody shows up and, and Lincoln realizes that there's nothing he can do. He might be able to defeat Bruce, but he cannot defeat everyone. So thoughts on, on the conclusion of the fight and, you know, how it ended. I, I like the conclusion of the fight. I, I like the group scene. It's, um, it's reminiscent of a, of a hush or something like that. Mm. Uh, it's nice to see kind of everybody that was part of this, you know, what I think we can call bloated or overlong story. But the good thing about a story this long is you get to see a lot of different characters that normally don't get screen time. Um, and it was nice to kind of have this uh, wrap up moment here where you have everybody present. Um, I felt like if we had not had Batwing there uh, or something like that, I think it would have been, they were all part of the story. And I think this was a nice way to kind of, tie them all together and give us the, the the kind of moments which, quite frankly, I thought we'd have more of an internal. I thought we'd have more big, giant group scenes like that um, with the characters. But it was it was nice to see here. Um, the, the fight was fine for a fight that doesn't have a definitive conclusion. You know? I mean, the bad guy gets away. Um, so for any fight scene that doesn't have a definitive winner, I think it was fine. Um, yeah, I was I was fine with the way that, that part of it wrapped up. I liked being able to see all the, you know, all the bad family characters come together, uh, and even some tertiary ones like Talon and Dinah and, uh, Katana. The, uh, it was great to see them finally, <laughs> you know, come together. My one question as I was reading this, because it's the obvious one of where were they when all of this, other, when all of this stuff was happening in the beginning of these 52 issues. So I, I guess it, it takes this, massive trauma to the city to uh to call in everyone but you kind of wonder why why was batman or i guess uh julia in this case waiting to to pull out this this trump card but you know i i always talk about the bat family and that's something that i think just the idea of it has been very absent in the new 52 and it's not like they're a cohesive unit here, but I felt like it was a step towards potentially, you know, setting something up where we start to see more relationships form. Um, you know, I think Babs and, and Jason is one thing, just the fact that those two are interacting on any sort of level, I think is, is pretty awesome. So yeah, so it was great to see everyone work together and even people that we haven't really seen too much be a member of that, like Batwoman, who, who has been just constantly told that she's not a member of the Bat family, but here she is fighting. And, and I think that's great. 
Yeah, honestly, I I enjoyed the way it ended. I mean, honestly, Bruce is is down. He, you know, he's he's about to be defeated. And if it wasn't for the Bat family coming to his aid and everyone standing up and like Stephanie says it best, I'm Batman because really they're all Batman. They're not, you know, it's not just about Batman. Batman has created a legacy in all of these other characters that he's inspired them to become whoever they are. And whether Bruce Wayne dies, Batman dies, there it really is. Batman is eternal. The legacy of Batman will live forever in Gotham City. I mean, it just will. I mean, there's plenty of arguments of whether or not that you actually need a Batman. We've seen it in multiple incarnations, Batman Beyond. We've seen it in, in Snyder's run itself, you know, with him cloning himself. So, I mean, like, the reality of it is, I, you know... Batman is eternal. The idea of Batman is something so significant where if you live in Gotham, that's what inspires you to, you know, live your day. I mean, Gotham is horrible of a city as it is. That, that bat signal, when it goes up in the sky, you know you're safe. And, or at least you, you believe you're safe. I mean, you might not be completely safe, but you're, you, you believe you're safe because that bat signal is in the sky. So the fact that they use that bat signal to inspire the people to rise up and, you know, help each other was really smart. And the fact that, you know, it's personified all completely by the fact that Stephanie sees that bad signal, you know, gets helped by somebody and realizes that this is really what she needs to be doing. Mm -hmm. She needs to step up and she needs to be, you know, one of these people. And in some ways it's almost like, you know, her origin. I mean, it really is her origin realistically in, in this, you know, post flashpoint universe. But the reality of it is it was nice to see that. And then followed by, you know, like, like Ed said, the group shot of the family all working together to, you know, finish this off, you know, them all coming together, even if it is kind of odd that some of them just randomly appeared at the very end of the story. But I think it, I think it was a great way to end it. Lincoln March not dying. I don't really think it was possible for him to die. I don't know who would have sliced his head off. Maybe Katana. I don't know. I don't know who would have sliced his head off in order to finish, you know, to finish him off because he doesn't die unless his head gets sliced off. So that being said, I think it was actually more proper for him to get away and to be, you know, taken care of by the Corvals because again, he's there in case they ever want to use him again, you know, just to have him locked up you know, in Arkham Asylum or Arkham Manor or Blackgate, it, it, it just doesn't work for that character. So the perfect conclusion for that character for the story was for him to get captured by the, the Court of Owls. All right, so the next thing I want to talk about is uh, there's just a couple of small little points. Okay, we see Jason Bard, you know, basically trying to cleanse his soul by going to Vicky and trying to reveal everything that he can to explain who he is. But then he also hints at that, you know, he could always find work as an ex-cop, hinting at what he could possibly become. Stella, what could he become? Well, he could become a private detective. That's right. So there's that. We see, uh, you know, Selina and Batman still at odds. But I guess that scene, the only thing I really got out of it was the fact that uh, she said she's got new friends now. Thank you, Mr. Cobblepot. And Cobblepot standing there. Batman doesn't go after Cobblepot, which I thought was slightly odd. Um, we then see, you know, Jim Corrigan inviting Batwing to join the, the Midnight Shift in Gotham by Midnight. We'll see if that plays out in Gotham by Midnight going forward. Uh, we see, you know, Batgirl coming, you know, having some sort of conclusion with her. I'm, I'm gonna be crazy because my father's in jail attitude. See Jason Todd deciding he can't share his real feelings for Barbara and decides to take off and have Roy come and pick him up. 
Stephanie is now rooming with Harper Rowe. Um, we see that something's going to happen. You know, it almost is setting up that, uh, that, that's, that, uh, story that we talked about. Red Robin, Harper Rowe, Stephanie. It's almost setting it up with the, the three of them all in the same room at the same time. Um, as a love triangle, you mean? No, not as a love triangle. <laughs> Interesting. Oh. As, as a team, as a team. Oh. Wow, Stella. Don't you see wow. the love triangle potential? I don't think Harper's into Red Robin at all. Though. Oh, okay. I mean, I guess maybe that could be the case later on, but I don't really see that. Yeah. I just see it as like, she's she looks at him as like a guy who would be a mentor if she mm-hmm. actually considered somebody a mentor. I definitely see the Stephanie. Oh, well, yeah. Thing. I mean, that was, that was pretty obvious. Yeah. Nice little but, moment there. I mean, all those little moments, they just add up. I mean, in some ways, you could have had an entire issue just with these little moments. The issue was oversized, so obviously a lot of the oversized stuff was these small little points that they make at the end of the fight, which could have been an epilogue issue, but it makes sense for them to do it the way they did. Um, overall, uh, I thought it was a good issue. I, I love the way it ends at the end. I will say that based off that ending with Jim Gordon standing there and saying, you know, well, we know that he's not commissioner. We know he's not, uh, you know, he, he says he's got a police scanner and basically setting up the idea that maybe he's not even with the cops. So maybe he is the person in the suit. Just throwing it out there, you know, it's a possibility. You know, I mentioned it last, that last episode, but, uh, they also talk about the fact that, uh, Scarecrow has a new toxin, which is then leading up to what we saw in, the beginning of Batman Endgame, the fact that Batman is, for whatever reason, he well, I mean, he's not in Wayne Manor anymore because Arkham Manor is still there at the beginning of Endgame, but he's in the Owl's Nest. They didn't really explain why he's in the Owl's Nest other than we just know that Lincoln March, I guess, might have been in that same Owl's Nest. I don't, I don't know. They didn't really explain that, but they didn't really need to either. It's not that big of a deal. Let's just say this, okay? Thoughts Overall, of the series. I mean, we all said it went on a little bit too long, um, but you know, overall, the story. Knowing that if knowing that it probably did go longer than it needed to, overall, let's talk Batman Eternal the series. Listen, it, I think we're all on record with the it went on too long, so I'm just going to shelve it for the rest of the conversation. If you haven't realized that by now, then you haven't been listening. Um, I think that overall, I, I liked a lot of of the series. Um, I thought that the supernatural, um, kind of side street we went down, um, I don't think that I disliked it. I don't think it was poorly constructed, but it just felt like we missed it a lot. And it seemed like a disjointed story. What I'm about to say is counterintuitive to everything I've ever said in my entire life, but I almost think that that would have been better as a spinoff, you know, if it had six issues in a row and it's Batman Eternal, the supernatural or whatever you want to call it. Um, mm-hmm. but, but I think overall the story was fine. Um, it got where it wanted to go. I think that it, it, it did the things it needed to do. It, it really did with, with as many issues as we had. I like seeing some of the tertiary characters a lot more. It got Stephanie Brown back in the, in the universe, which is good. Um, it gave, it gave Red Robin some, some decent page count, which when was the last time we saw Red Robin do anything of note in a Batman comic before this, you know, um, it got him involved in it. It did get Lincoln March back in the game. I know he's frozen, but come on, how long is that going to, you know, that's, a, that's just a, a plot device away from being a next issues comic book. Um, 
I think overall it did a lot of really good things, and I don't want the good it was done overshadowed by some of our recent complaints about stuff. A lot of this was a very, very entertaining story, and I think you can really tell when Dustin talked about the interviews earlier. You can really tell where it went from the tightly scripted, what was it, the first 15 or 20 issues, right? Yeah, it was like 15. Yeah, and the first 15 issues of this were really, really good. I mean, really, really good. Um, you can tell where the tight script kind of, kind of lost its way. So I, I think that if my biggest hope for this would be, um, I don't want to see the massive Batman story go away. I do want it to get slightly less page count, less issues maybe other week, but I do like the big stories. I, I like the No Man's Land. I like Hush. I like these kind of mega stories. And I think if anything, this could be a very good first step in continuing these longer eternal type stories. And I think that they can learn a lot from this, this, the admittedly kind of small mistakes they made in this one. And I think that if they take the lessons they learn here, then these eternal type stories going forward could be very, very good. And I, I really did enjoy the story overall. And it's nice to have a, a wide a, or a, a long story and a big story that's not going outside of itself. Like it very much is uh, a crossover, but you aren't having to buy tie-ins with other books or anything. So you've got this event that is taking place in itself. And I think that was also great, just that, you know, we're not having to buy all of these other things that have an eternal, t- you know, label on it, which is great. Um, sometimes I get worn out with long stories, but, you know, I-, I think you go into weekly series with a different mindset anyways. You know, I wasn't getting fatigued with 52, maybe going back to the comic book store every week, uh, continuity or, you know, countdown was a little different story. But, um, you know, for the most part, I felt like, it, it kept a, a good speed. I agree that perhaps the supernatural wasn't as con- cohesive with the rest of the story. And I think there was just this attempt to bring in a different aspect to the Batman mythos that, that really has not been seen. And at least it does when, I mean, the, the positive outcome of those supernatural things is Gotham by midnight. Uh, because I think without this stuff, that series would not happen. So I think that is certainly the, the positive moment. You know, when I watch TV shows or, um, read books or anything, the thing that really drives me, the story is a big part, obviously, because if it's a, it's, very, if it's a garbage story, you don't want to be wasting your time, but characters really are like 75, maybe 60% of, you know, what drives me to care about what is going on inside. And I, I, you know, I normally latch on to particular characters if it's a huge thing. Like Game of Thrones, you know, you kind of latch on to a couple characters that you really like and, and follow them through. Because there are so many of them that there, I think, are only a couple that you are emotionally invested in more so than the others. And what was wonderful about Eternal is the wealth of characters that it brought with it. At times it was overwhelming, and I think it certainly seemed like each week we were getting a new, oh my gosh, remember when Carmine Falcone was was the guy we thought mm. could potentially be? I mean, wow, that, I feel like that was back way, 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 way back when we were talking about him in, in the Rose Garden or wherever he was. Um, so sometimes, you know, that was overwhelming because, you know, you do have to introduce them and bring them out and everything. But, yeah, we have Stephanie Brown. 
which was great. You know, you just getting a piece of her at a time. It was not overwhelming. Uh, for Dustin, we had Harper Rowe, of course. And, you know, Dustin may not like Harper Rowe, but I think that even he will admit that, uh, this was certainly the place for her to be developed. And, uh, you know, now she's brought into the fold more and I think she has a purpose. Whereas outside of this series, just thrown into Batman, it may not make as much sense. I love some of the villains and the paths that they went down. We wouldn't have the current Catwoman that we have without this particular story, I don't think. And, and I think we've really gotten her to a point of having better respect, uh, despite her, her clothing choices. And another surprise character for me is, is Killer Croc. And, uh, I love him in, uh, Gotham Academy, which he only appeared for two, uh, issues, but that was great there. But just, uh, just getting to know him a little bit more after the Arkham business that went on in Forever Evil and, and to see how he was doing and now being in Selena's, uh, empire and everything. I, I think it was just, it was the characters that really this eternal, I think, brought forward, um, lots of great things for them, lots of development. And it's also really pushing forward relationships. And, you know, Julia Pennyworth is one of those. We really got to see that development. So I think that was really where the positive aspects came in for this, for this story. And, it, you know, it was a mystery story. Um, I, I think next time I'd like to see it more of, you know, maybe more of like a Sherlock Holmesy kind of thing because I, I think we lost it at some points just with it being a mystery story because I, I think even the writers were thrown off as to how all the threads were being connected. So it would be great to really have that detective aspect in the, the next round. But overall, you know, I, I enjoyed it and we've been covering it for what, 16 months. A year. 16, I was, was going to say. 16 years. <laughs> I mean, it was, was long, Stella, but why? You know? <laughs> I was going to say episodes of TVU. I wondered how many episodes. Uh, I would assume at least 24. Okay. Okay. But then again, yeah, I knows? mean, it's been a year. Yeah. I mean, basically, yeah. it's been a year. It has been, yeah. All right. So here's my thought. Okay. Okay. I will say this. I, I There's a lot of things that I agree with you guys on. I will say Harper Row before Batman Eternal, I disliked completely. But this series has brought her to a point that I can say that I actually enjoy the character. I'm not saying that I, you know, want to see her every single, you know, Batman, you know, by Scott Snyder issue, but they developed her and this was a series where they could not only develop her, but develop a lot of characters. I mean, obviously Stephanie Brown was introduced in this specific series. She was developed as a character. We saw other characters developed. I mean, like Ed said, Red Robin appearing in this, this is more appearances within the bat family since the beginning of the new 52 than than we've ever seen you know it just does not happen red robin's not involved with the bat family ever since the new 52 started so there's a lot of different things that happen here i mean there's the whole you know jason todd and barbara thing who knows what will happen with that in the future but there's a lot of different things that they could do because one it wasn't character specific issue where it wasn't just Batgirl. It wasn't just Red Robin. It just, it, it wasn't just Red Hood. It wasn't just Batman. It involved a lot of characters and going into this series. That's what I was hoping for. I was hoping for a series that would be massive deal with the Bat family, bring the Bat family back together, have them working together, have them interact with each other and see what happens when they interact. And because it's a weekly I mean, yes, obviously, as we've all said, it went on a little bit longer than it probably needed to. But the one plus side of it going on for as long as it did is we got a lot of new 
relationships between characters that we wouldn't probably have gotten if this was just a monthly. Because there was a lot more pages for them to be able to flesh out some of these characters. And that, and for that, I am, I'm greatly appreciative of this series. I, you know, you know, there's, there's been, there was plenty of problems with the storylines and how they started to meld together or we'd have issues. I mean, it was evident even here in the last couple issues where Gordon had locked his cell and tied up and hogtied Penguin, but then Penguin somehow is on a boat with Killer Croc in the next issue. There's, there's, there's always going to be plot holes when you have a lot of writers. But when, you know, I've read stuff with, I, I've read Earth 2 World's End, I've read the New 52 Future's End, and honestly, Earth 2 World's End, I felt like had, had much more plot problems than Eternal did. Uh, and Eternal lasted longer, which is, you know, which is hard to say. I mean, World's End almost lasted half as many issues as Eternal, and it probably had more problems with making the story, you know, work. Um, they also tried to attempt to tie into their on, their monthly normal ongoing Earth 2 uh, ongoing series, which was also a problem as far as time goes, too. And, you know, like Stella said, this was a good series because it didn't make you pick up other books, given you were picking up four issue, at least four issues a month of this series, which in some ways is almost the equivalent of having four monthlies cross over with each other. But it's nice that the, all of the other characters that were appearing in these books could still have their stories. You know, could we have really seen the change that has occurred in Catwoman and Batgirl if they were involved in this bat- massive crossover for a year? No, there's no way we could have. So it was good for them to not only develop the characters, but give the characters just a story that they were all part of, but not mess up their story, which is what I've complained about every time when we get a crossover dealing with, you know, some of Snyder's stuff, you know, and even, even that one crossover that wasn't Snyder's Gothtopia. There, every time they had a crossover, it, it affected the main story that the writers were trying to present. And with Eternal, this was an opportunity for them to cross over without affecting their own stories. And I think that was a really good way to do it. Um, overall, I, I really enjoyed this Eternal. I, you know, there, there was, there, there was obviously problems here and there, but I think it achieved what I hoped it would achieve, which is to bring the Bat family together, develop relationships between the characters, you know, showcase some of these villains that don't appear that often. And I, I almost kind of wish that we got to see some of even the worst, you know, the lower end, like Stella said earlier, Condiment King. Like, this would have been just, like, even if it was just like a small cameo, like, there was plenty of opportunities for them to do that. And they did showcase a, a, a good chunk of villains. By no means do I feel like they needed to shove any more in there. But there, this was a great way to celebrate the 75th anniversary of Batman, which is what they said their intent was. So I say mission accomplished. Great job. You know what I really liked at the end of this? And I don't think we really talked about it, but I think that what it was kind of inferred here is that um, Batwing is going to join uh, Gotham by Midnight. Oh, yeah. it's That's definitely inferred. And I, and I, I thought it was I'm very cool. Waiting for that to happen. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, Because ever since Luke took over his Batwing, I mean, remember when we were doing Point Five, when when they had the creative team switch and Luke became Batwing, it got a lot better. And I think him being part of Gotham by Midnight would be very, very cool. So, and then like Stellar brought up, you know, some of the other books that came out, the Catwoman change and stuff like that. I think that even if you had some of your issues with Eternal itself, so much good stuff came out of it. Arkham Manor, Gotham by, I mean, all this stuff came out of it that I think that any of its sins can be easily forgiven by the overall good that it did. Yeah. And, and the reality of it is, could those changes have actually occurred if it wasn't for 
the characterizations that were being presented in Eternal. I don't think it could have. I mean, Batgirl could have happened. I'm not, I'm not going to debate that. Batgirl could have happened on its own without having anything to do with Eternal. But like Catwoman, Gotham by Midnight, Arkham Manor, even though it's ended, none of those books would have occurred if it wasn't for Eternal. So in that regard, and that was basically the, you know, the new wave for, you know, the, you know, the Bat books was all that stuff, including Batgirl. So, None of that stuff would have been able to occur, except maybe Batgirl, if it wasn't for Eternal. So, I think it's really a. It, a lot of it has to do with just like I said, like they were able to make these characters more interesting. Like Catwoman, we hated Catwoman's run. Mm-hmm. We we despised it, and then they they presented her in a whole new light in the weekly, and then they ran with it in the in the ongoing, which was really smart. And now it's much better. I mean, a thousand times better. Well, it went from unreadable to good. I mean, I don't, I don't even know how you quantify that. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah, way better. All right. So, Batman Eternal number 52, single issue by itself. I'm giving it four out of five bat ranks. Mm, I'm going to also give it four out of five. The shippers make me happy. 4.5 out of five. All right. And over on the website, Ryan gave it four out of five. So that's going to give Batman Eternal number 52 a total of four out of five bat ranks. Now, as the, uh, since this series is done, just overall rating, just give a quick rating for the entire series as a whole. I personally would give it three out of five bat rings as a whole series. I'm going to actually give it three and a half just because of, of the tertiary good it did. I think I'll also say 3.5 out of five. Okay, so there you have it. All right, so with that, that is all of our comic reviews. Let's jump into our DC Spotlight. I want information. And I'll get it any way I please. So real quick, uh, we're going to combine the the reviews on the website along with our spotlight because, like I said last episode, we have all of these books being reviewed over on the website. So first off, let's just go through some of the digital stuff that we have reviewed over on the website. Uh, Batman 66, Chapter 56, uh, reviewed by Ryan. He gave it 4 out of 5. Batman Arkham Knight, Chapter number 5, reviewed by Patrick. He gave it 3 out of 5. Batman Arkham Knight, Chapter number 6, reviewed by Patrick. He gave it 3.5 out of 5. Batman 66, Chapter number 57, reviewed by Ryan. He gave it 3 out of 5. And Batman Arkham Knight, Chapter 7, 3 out of 5, reviewed by Patrick. So those are the digital ones. Be sure to check those out over on the website. Now, as far as some of the other books from the Batman universe that have released, first up, Batman Superman number 20 uh, was reviewed by Gary. He gave it four out of five. Uh, as I go through these, we'll, we'll talk about some of the ones that actually had highlights. As far as Batman Superman, um, nothing really happened pertaining to Batman, so it's not worth talking about. Uh, next up, Batgirl number 40, reviewed by Donovan. He gave it three out of five. Stella, anything important happened in that issue? Um... <laughs> yes, a lot of stuff happens. Uh, I mean, we basically get cleansed of the, uh, of the, the Batgirl that has been attacking the city. So lots of stuff. And then Dinah goes off on her own. So it, it is a nice, uh, at least the Dinah Batgirl relationship is, is resolved. And Frankie that now knows, uh, Batgirl's identity as Barbara Gordon is very much being pushed into the Oracle or an Oracle-esque um, position. I think those are the big things. All right. And then next up, uh, Batgirl Endgame number one, also reviewed by Donovan. He gave it three out of five. Um, that's it. Talking, I, talking about the Endgame, we'll, we'll talk about all the Endgame okay. together just because there's, we do have three more of them. Um, next up, Batwoman number 40, reviewed by Jim. He gave it four out of five. 
Now, as far as anything that re- was relevant in this issue, it was revealed that uh, Batwoman was not actually a vampire, even though she's been depicted as one in the last couple of issues. Uh, she was just under the control of believing that she was, and all the issues that showed her actually killing people, and she was under the assumption that she killed all these people as the vampire. It was all a trick by Nocturno. So, yeah. Mm. All right, Red Hood and the Outlaws, number 40, reviewed by Ryan. <laughs> he gave it three and a half out of five. Uh, the team basically dissolves. Uh, Starfire decides she's going to go off on her own. She doesn't, she's not going to be involved with the Outlaws anymore. And it appears that Roy and, and, uh, Jason are going on in their separate ways as well. Even though we know for a fact that we have <laughs> what is yet to happen in, uh, Eternal, I guess, with Roy getting a phone call from Jason telling him to come pick him up, and also the fact that we know that there's going to be a Roy Harper, Jason Todd book coming out in June. I'm still kind of shocked that, that that Outlaws book got turned into two books. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, Starfire, fine, makes sense, I guess. Hmm? Uh, but I, I don't know why they continue. I mean, maybe have Jason Todd by himself. I don't know why they kept him with, with, uh, Roy, I, just, I don't know. I think Jason, especially, especially the way the last issue ended. I think Nobody Jason, wants to read a Starfire book. Let's be honest. You know, the only reason I'd read it is it's got Connor and Palmiani on it, so I will oh, give it a try. Yeah. I'll give I'll give it a try because I think it's probably going to have the Harley Quinn treatment. And if you, yeah. you, you saw the images of her, Dustin, it's a totally different yeah. looking character. Oh yeah, it is. Um, I think they're trying to take her down the Harley Quinn route, so I'll check it out. Um, but yeah, normally I would I would totally agree with you, but because of the of the writing team on it, I'll definitely. Check it. I th- I think of it like this. When they announced who was going to be writing, I immediately thought they're going to do a Starfire from Teen Titans Go. Yeah, and that's what the costume really looks like. A lot, a lot closer than her. Um, I mean, I don't know how to say this. It, all superheroine costumes can be a bit revealing, but Starfire's has been ridiculous, you know? Um, so I'm actually kind of glad to see that, that this book is coming out because I, I just, th- th- it's got kind of goofy in the outlaws. All right, next up, Teen Titans, reviewed by Jim. He gave it two out of five. Arkham Manor, number six, reviewed by Patrick. He gave it four out of five. This was actually the last issue of Arkham Manor, the proper series. Um, the, the story kind of concluded, but there was a lot of questions that were left unanswered. So if you happen to read Arkham Manor, who knows where they're going to answer the questions. I don't know where they're going to answer the questions that they left open at the end of Arkham Manor, but that series is done. Uh, Catwoman number 40, reviewed by Ryan. He gave it four out of five. Now, surprise, surprise, the biggest thing that happened in this issue this, this, uh, month was the fact that Selena's decided that she's going to become Catwoman again. How, what, why do we need two Catwomen running around? Oh, no, we don't have two Catwomen anymore. The other one is now not going to be Catwoman. Well, we'll see how long that lasts. All right. Gotham by Midnight number five, reviewed by Josh, Joshua. He gave it two. Uh, out of five, uh, the first end of the first story arc happens here. Spectre unleashes holy hell on Gotham. The, the, I'll let you read Joshua's, uh, his description of the episode or the issue, but, uh, basically the gist of it was that it kind of, it didn't end as well as everyone anticipated it was going to end. Uh, next up, Gotham Academy number six, reviewed by Patrick. He gave it five out of five batarangs. Stella, anything awesome happened in that one? Lots of awesome things. Uh, many things, uh, pushed along in the, in the mystery of Alv and her relationship with Batman. 
you finally see them go up against one another, which is really big. And you also start to see Olive's power set. So she has some sort of control over fire. And because Killer Croc has been here, he has been relating some of the history and, and who Olive's mother is because he had a relate or he, she, he had a cell across from hers in Arkham and just a great role for them. And yeah, it was a great story. So I definitely agree with that five out of five. And uh, I think one of the biggest things that's selling. <laughs> oh, sorry. Yes. That, Damian uh, Wayne. Mr. Damian Wayne is, is going to be enrolling. Yeah. Yeah. He's going to be enrolling in Gotham Academy. Yeah. It was super, and, uh, super shocking I, because I thought it was, I thought Bruce was being a creeper going into all his room. And then you find out it was actually Damian. <laughs> yeah. And it, it was revealed. I just read an interview with the writing team behind Gotham Academy and it's not that he's just making a cameo. He actually is mm-hmm. going to be in the school. So I think that's going to be kind of cool. Yep. All right. So next up, Secret Origins number 11 featuring the origin of Black Canary, reviewed by Ryan. He gave it two out of five. Ooh. Arkham Manor Endgame number one, reviewed by Patrick. He gave it one out of five. Batman Superman Annual number two, reviewed by Gary. He gave it four out of five. Again, not a whole lot happened in that issue. I'll just leave it at that. You can read the, the, the synopsis. A lot of the annuals didn't really have a whole lot happening. They just felt like stories happening. Uh, next up, Batwoman annual number two, reviewed by Jim. He gave it three out of five. Now, the, the one thing that did happen in this issue was that somehow we got back to, spa- you know, Batwoman in space that was alluded to six months ago. Um, it was wrapped up very quickly. Basically, they fell from space and they went back what appeared to be medieval times and they came, they, they found Morgan Le Fay, smashed the Sorcerer's Stone and reverted Gotham back to its present day format. Sometimes you just gotta stay stuff out, stay, say something out loud before you do oh, yeah. it. You know, and yeah. if you say, okay, I'm gonna do Batwoman in space with time travel and sorcery, you're probably just gonna go, it's not gonna work out. Yeah. Yeah. And the funny thing is, I, I do remember, I, I did read something about, uh, Dan DiDio making a comment about Batwoman. Uh, you know, with all of the, the new direction of characters, there was one character that wasn't, you know, present in June and it's Batwoman. And some people were like, oh, well, what's the deal with Batwoman? How come, you know, that was one of the biggest characters you were trying to market, I guess, before the new 52 because of, you know, her views on sexuality and things like that. Where is she? And, Basically, one of the, I think it was either Jim Lee or Dan DiDio, they said, well, she's gone, but she's not going to be gone for very long. So we'll have to wait and see where she's going to pop up. Who knows? Maybe she could be thrown in with Harper and Stephanie Brown and some of these other characters that have no place as of now. But at the same time, Batwoman's probably been more disconnected from the Bat family than any other character. So, but, but it's kind of weird. Not sure how that could do that. What was it? Five, was it about five years ago? She was headlining Detective Comics. Oh, yeah. You know, like, yeah. I mean, so, I mean, she was the head of a major book. And, I mean, I don't know. It just, I, I, when the, all from grace. after That's the relaunch, it, it was really good at first, remember? And then, and then it kind of went through some creative team changes. So maybe this is a character you sit out for a couple months and bring back because it does need a little bit of a, I wouldn't say a reboot, but a little, you know what I'm saying? All right. Next up, Gotham Academy Endgame, three and a half out of five, reviewed by Patrick. Harley Quinn, number 16, reviewed by Gary. He gave it four and a half out of five. Now, if, if you didn't read Harley Quinn, she has now formed her complete gang of Harleys, which is literally, they're literally going by the name Gang of Harleys. She has recruited a bunch of char- characters as her sidekicks to be in her gang. So that's happening to Harley Quinn. Teen Titans Annual, number one, reviewed by Jim. He gave it three and a half out of five. Tons of stuff happened in this issue, but nothing really 
death defying or changing to continuity. Superboy reemerges and has a blowout with some aliens and Martian Manhunter randomly appears in the issue as well. Uh, New 52, Future's End, number 44 through 48, reviewed by Ryan. He gave it two out of five. Uh, now, big news out of New 52, Future's End, is that uh, Terry McGinnis died. He's dead. <gasps> dead as a doornail. Dead, dead. And uh, Tim Drake has taken over the role of Batman Beyond and has traveled back into the future where he believed he stopped Brother Eye, only to find out that this uh, new world that he's on, it said in the future, it's not the world you were all expecting it to be. It's completely different and uh doesn't seem like anything really occurred in New 52 other than Tim Drake is the new Batman Beyond. But it's Tim Drake not from now. It's Tim Drake from five years from yes. now. Yes, yes, exactly, which means it could still change potentially. But isn't this the, the big deal? Isn't this the one where it was the Dio that said this is the definitive future? Yeah. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> Really, when somebody says this is the definitive future, or someone says all that stuff that happened in the past still happened, I, I don't take any, I don't take it at all. Continuity is dead. All right. And then, uh, Earth 2 Worlds End, number 20 through, 22 through 26, reviewed by Joshua. He gave it three out of five. Uh, big thing that happened at the end of Earth 2 Worlds End, Earth 2 is gone. I mean, literally, the title said it all. There's nothing else that really happens other than Earth 2 no longer exists. Darkseid ate the Earth up, and all of the Earth 2, all the people on Earth 2 were marooned onto New Earth, and that's setting up what what appears to be what's going to happen in either part of Convergence, although I don't really think it's connecting to Convergence, but more specifically the Darkseid War that will take place in Justice League in June. And then finally, the last issue, Convergence number 0, viewed by Joshua, and he gave it 4 out of 5. Uh, as far as convergence goes, look forward to the next episode, but basically first issue of convergence, which is number zero, uh, kind of explains how we're getting to the point of convergence. Superman, uh, comes across Brainiac, has basically a small battle with him only to be revealed by Brainiac that he has a son named Telos who has captured multiple universes at specific time points and collected them underneath domes, similar to the way Brainiac collects cities and bottles. And uh, he has decided that he is going to take the the specific universes at from their specific time points, and he's going to pit them against other ones in a tournament, basically. And the ones who win are the ones who get to survive going forward. That's convergence for you for right now. All right, so that is DCU Spotlight. A lot of stuff happened. Now, real quick, the Endgame tie-ins. There was three that came out. The Batgirl one, Gotham Academy, and Arkham Manor. I'll say this. Arkham Manor did nothing except for the the huge twist at the end was that Jeremiah Arkham is supposedly a Joker wannabe and is now locked up in Arkham Manor. Uh, uh, Stella, Batgirl, really... There really wasn't anything, in my opinion, that happened. Anything in your opinion that happened? No, there was nothing big. I thought it was an amazing issue, though. Um, it was a com- it was. yeah, it, it was. was a completely silent issue. Which you're either going to hit that or you're going to destroy it, and it just comes across wonderfully. Uh, one of my favorite, I think, quotes from it was when she has a speech bubble and it's got a little bit of poo in it because something bad happens. But yeah, it's just Batgirl basically saving people um, off of the Burnside Bridge. Uh, that connects to Gotham and uh she I guess the big thing is that we see uh one of the Fox kids 
um, Tiffany, Tiffany Fox, whom, if Future's End is supposed to happen, becomes a Batgirl later on. So I think that was the only thing. But yeah, I mean, it ties in, but I thought it was an amazing issue, and I think people should still pick it up. You know, they're doing pretty good with the no words, though. Was it a Batman and Robin number 18? That was no, that had no yeah. words that was really good. Mm-hmm. And this one was really good. So it, yeah. it seems counterintuitive, but every time they seem to do this recently, it's, it seemed to be pretty cool. I like them. Mm-hmm. All right. And then Gotham Academy Endgame, I didn't really feel like anything major happened in that one either. Yeah. Just a lot of, I mean, it was again a fun story. I, I guess it's weird. You think that Endgame, all these books are going to be super dire, which I guess Arkham Manor was, but you know, for Batgirl, that was still fun, even in like the, the terrible stuff that's going on. And Gotham Academy was fun just because you have Pommeline maps and all of in a tent and then McPherson joins them and you just get three different stories. And it's definitely something out of Batman, the animated series when they talk about, you know, different, uh, Batman interactions, but here it's different stories of the Joker. And I think what's really funny about this is Gotham Academy, I think maybe hit how it should have been done compared to the backup stories to Batman with all those weird, the Joker through history situations. Cause I think this was just easier to follow and more fun and just the, the lighter aspect that it uh, used. So basically, I mean the end game, it's not really adding anything necessarily to the overall story. It does feel like a cash grab as usual with a lot of these, but it's not necess- it's not that they're bad stories by any means. Yeah. I actually enjoyed the Batgirl one mm-hmm. very much. So, um, I didn't really like the Arkham Manor one, but nonetheless, the, the stories are not necessarily bad. It's just they're not adding anything to the story. So again, I don't really feel the necessity for them to keep doing these endgame tie-ins if they're not really adding to the overall story, which I understand they're supposed to be standalone according to Snyder and everyone involved in these, in this, these crossovers. They're supposed to be standalone so you don't have to pick up, pick them up to get it. But what's the point of picking them up if you're not getting anything added into it? Just to me, it feels like a waste. Well, these feel even more of a waste. I mean, even remember the death of the family and the night of the owls one at least had some bearing on what was going on. And I liked the Gotham Academy one. It was really, it was fine, but it added, it wasn't even involved even in a small way. Yeah, I don't get it. It's just getting weirder. All right, so that is all of the TBU Spotlight. Now we're going to get into our listener Q&As. <laughs> Boy, did you get a wrong number. Leave your message at the sound of the shriek. No, please, don't! As I said, we have a bunch of them, so I'm going to try to breeze through these because we're already pushing much longer than normal for a normal episode. So, uh, first up, GF Green says, enjoy the podcast again. Thanks, all. You asked about how readers feel about the big change in Batman like the upcoming Robo-Batman. Changes in the character or a cast of characters can be disconcerting, but if the new version is an interesting story that is well told and the new character attributes are used in an interesting way, it can be fantastic. Who would have imagined Game of Thrones without Ned, or a vampire taking over Dark Shadows, or the second Doctor Who? All these changes were drastic but worked because the new stories grabbed you and the new characters were interesting. There are more examples of this failing, however. It is always a risk, but you can have a huge payoff if done well. It might sound like a cop out, but that's what it is all about. It is all about the storytelling. So great point. I mean, like I said, like we all said, all of us said the same thing. You know, the immediate reaction is what the heck, but we're holding judgment until we actually read it because you don't know what's going to happen realistically. Wait a minute. Ned's dead in Game of Thrones. 
Damn it. How do I learn stuff like this all the time? Well, better that than the Red Wedding. What's that? You don't want to know. All right, next up, Avery says, Hey, guys and gal, great podcast as always. About the diversity, I think creating new diverse characters is pretty cool. The main thing for me is that the that all of the most awesome characters are the ones that have years and years of stories and growth and history behind them. Most of those characters are white males, which is fine. However, I think it's important to start building history on some characters that are different from what we've seen. In 75 years, Duke Thomas could be the, a Robin with the clout or and stature of Dick, Jason, and Tim. I think that is key to really making the universe feel diverse. Otherwise, the universe feels exactly the same except with a few diverse folks sprinkled in strategically. So I realize it's somewhat awkward transition right now, but my hope is that by the time my kids are ready to read comics, they can have some heroes that that look like them to look up to. I have no problem with using existing characters and developing them as well. I guess what I'm saying is I think I think we still need more and generally I think changing ethnicities of characters just kind of feels cheap in my opinion. It just tends of it just tends to be kind of jarring to me. Earth dude Earth 2 did a good job I think of integrating Val into the fold, but that was pretty much at the expense of Clark. I'm rambling now, but thanks for reading. So I agree. I mean, like, it is entirely possible that 75 years from now, Duke Thomas could be it. I think the biggest problem that I have outside of just the diversity of the characters is that that we've created so many characters just in the past 20 years or just in the past five years. We've created so many new characters. And what happens to those new characters? Someone creates them, more specifically in the last five years, Snyder creates, Scott Snyder creates a new character and then nothing really happens with the character. We might see the character here and there. Harper was probably the first character that Snyder's created that has actually done something for a long term, and that's because somebody else jumped on and did it. You look at a character like the Calvin Rose talent. Other than him popping up in Eternal, it's literally been over a year and a half since we last saw that character. And that was a character that was introduced based off of Snyder. Tinian jumped on the balls and ro- rolled with it for a short amount of time, and then just ran out of ideas, and then he got off the book. A couple months later, the book was done, and that was it. Nobody cared anymore. Nobody cared to bring that character back. And the thing is, it's one thing to create a character. It's one another thing to create a character that has a lasting impact. And I feel like Snyder has no problem creating a character, creating characters in general to fit within the mold of his stories. But at the same time, do those characters have a lasting impact where other people are going to want to use them long term? And that's, I just don't feel like that's the case because you look at, you know, even before the New 52, we have, you know, he created a couple of new villains, Roadrunner, Tiger Shark, and other than popping up in Eternal, which was basically a lot of characters that Snyder has created popped up outside of Eternal, nobody's touching those characters. Now, yes, I will admit those are villains and generally villains that get created don't tend to get touched. But when you have a character like Harp Rowe, who has appeared in no other book except for Eternal and Batman, what what is the reason behind that? Because nobody really wants to use the character. And if you're going to use, if you're going to create, a, and and the thing is, reality of 75 years ago when, when Dick Grayson was created, he was only appearing in two titles. It's not like, you know, Robin nowadays could potentially appear in 12 issues where you have 12 different writers writing stories with the character. Back then, there was two different series that were releasing that he'd be in every month. And most of the time, the two writers were writing the stories about the same time, so they knew exactly what they were doing. They also weren't that concerned about building a continuity for the character way back then. So the reality of it is, when nowadays, when you create a character, if the character 
doesn't have a lasting impact, nobody else wants to use him, what is really the point of creating the character, in my opinion? Unless, of course, it's a throwaway villain, and then, it's, you know, as much as I don't want that, I understand that it needs to happen occasionally. So when you try to insert somebody into the mythos or insert somebody into the Bat family and have them have such a in, important role in the, in, in the, in the group, but then you don't follow through with it or you don't and you just pass it off to somebody else, they're not going to roll with it forever. You didn't build that character up enough. And that was the biggest problem with Harper Row, in my opinion. Snyder introduced her. She, he basically shoehorned her into Here everything. we go. Shoehorned her into everything, but at the same time, didn't develop the character. It wasn't until now with uh, Batman Eternal that she was actually developed. And that wasn't even by Snyder. You know, Snyder made it, I'm sure he had input on the character and things like that, but he didn't develop the character to make us want to care about the character. He created a character to serve a purpose for his story, and that was it. And that was the biggest problem I had with the character. I hope that Duke Thomas is not another problem, and I'm hoping because he's at least front and center in his own title, we won't, that won't happen. So I, I have a little bit higher hopes for the future of Duke Thomas. I mean, Harper Row, she's got a future as long as they don't just stop using her and she appears somewhere. But we'll wait and see what happens. Can't you just off the hate wagon for once? I, hey, I said earlier, I, I like Harper Row now. I, I said that. I'm just, I'm just confirming when you create a character, you have to make it a worthwhile character. Especially if your intent is for this character to have a lasting impact. Well, to be... I'm sorry, does anybody disagree with me that Harper Row was basically shoehorned, and then she wasn't developed, and it wasn't until Eternal that she got developed? Wait, wait, wait. I mean, here's here's where I think the difference is, and I'm not saying I like this, I'm saying this is a statement of fact, like my continuity statements, right? I think that, like it or not, Batman, the title by Scott Snyder, and the rest of the Batman world is running on two different frequencies. Agreed. I mean, it just is. I'm not saying I like it, I'm saying this is what's happening. So... Stuff that happens in Batman doesn't seem to affect the rest of the universe, and the stuff in the rest of the universe doesn't seem to affect Batman as much as it should. That's Harper. Now, Eternal was different, but again, Snyder was the main writer behind Eternal. You know, he was the the, the guy laying out the plan. I think you're going to see Julia Pennyworth, which is another creation character of his, granted, but I think she's going to have a, a big role moving forward. And he does create, he does redo new characters. Remember what he did with Jim Gordon Jr. before the New 52? Before, before Snyder touched him, he was the forgotten kid in, in, in year one. And I would agree. And I think that that's probably one of the few exceptions. But even so, he redid that character. And other than just randomly appearing in, in the pages of Batgirl, he doesn't, he hasn't really had anything happen. Hasn't been huge, but, but I think that he's also a villain, which is he's a villain. exception. He's a villain. That's cer- that's certainly true. And I think that Snyder actually seems to do better work with his villains. His, his reimagination of Gordon Jr. was very good. Um, and I think that the Court of Owls has been a major upgrade in, the, I mean, I don't think since Hush, and I mean, I don't mean, I guess I do mean actual, the story Hush, but Hush the character, the last time I think we had a new character introduced in, in Batman's universe that was going to be as much a part of it moving forward as the Court of Owls will be. Yeah, and I agree, and I think that's the thing. I think what Snyder, he's really good at is creating original villains. Yes. When it comes to original villains, he does great. When he's using a character like the Joker and trying to, like, just do, you know, make it work with the story that he wants to tell, it's different, you know. But when it comes to him working with villains, you know, even though James Jr. was, I'll say, it's in some ways, it is an original villain for him because that character was literally a child 
prior, you know, a, a forgotten child, as you pointed out, before he used him. So when it comes to Snyder using villains, original villains, really good stories. I loved Court of Owls. I loved Black Mirror. Wasn't so keen on, you know, the Joker stuff or Zero Year with the Riddler. Wasn't, I wasn't into that stuff as much. And I think it's just because he's, he's telling a story and he's just using a character that already existed because a lot of people want him to do that. All right. So next, Avery says, sorry for the double post. I have a quick theory about the new suit. I think the new suit is a Harper Row design. For one, the color scheme matches the Bluebird color scheme almost exactly. Also, the rabbit ears look a lot like something, some sort of capacitor, which is essentially a device to capture, store, and discharge electricity, either to power the suit or as some electronic weapon. Lastly, we've seen Harper grow at a pretty rapid rate, even recently joking back and forth with Tim about who is smarter and, and better at hacking. So I think something like this would be within her capabilities, especially with the help from Tim. Just my two cents. P.S. Remember that sketch we saw forever ago with the one-armed Batman and Bluebird and Lark? Any thoughts on that now that we've almost finished with Eternal and Endgame? That's a good call out. As far as your suit, I still think it's Jim Gordon. You know, no, no knock on your Harper role. I mean, definitely. There's, she could have, she could have designed up, it. Yeah, yeah, you definitely, you definitely bring up some decent points with that. Um, but that sketch with Batman, Bluebird, and Lark, uh, good call out. First, first <laughs> issue of Endgame. Remember, it was the dreams. Yes, yes, that was the first issue of Endgame, and it was the Scarecrow nightmare that was occurring. That's where that happened. So it wasn't actually something that occurred. Although, who knows? We still don't have any idea who this Lark character is, and that's. At some point, I'm assuming Snyder is going to bring that character in. So we'll wait and see for that. All right, next up, Albert V says, Hey, guys, great pod once again. By the time you guys post another episode, hopefully the real Big Bad is revealed in Batman Eternal. I have a hard time believing it's Cluemaster. Maybe it is or isn't Cluemaster. My question to you guys is, if you had your choice of any B or C-list villain to receive his own major story arc, get called up to the big leagues, if you will, Mm -hmm, who would mm -hmm. that villain be and why? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Condiment King, right? Has to be. I think Condiment King is not a B or C list, but yes, I, I get where you're coming from here. No, so my thoughts on on this: if I had to pick a villain, one of the characters that I thought would be kind of interesting. Well, specifically, there, there's a there's a couple different ones that I have, but the one I'll mention this this episode is uh, David Kane. We haven't seen this character. I mean, they've 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 mentioned the Kane, the Fist of Kane. Yeah. In Grayson, but we haven't really seen David Kane. Um, obviously this would then tie to Cassandra Kane yeah. and Lady Shiva. So there's a lot of connections that they could do with that character. But, uh, he's one of the characters I, I think he's, he's pretty far down on that villains list. I mean, more so he's probably a backgirl, uh, backgirl Cassandra Kane villain than, than the Batman villain, but he's appeared. There's other characters too, but that's just the one that I'll throw out because I was thinking about it recently. Since Harper Row is probably the daughter of Lady Shiva, then Harper Row probably at some point is going to go on a, you know, a, a, a mission to find her mother and will discover a half sister known as Cassandra. And at this stage, Cassandra is playing no flinch, you know, with David Kane with the bolts and everything. And so that's the perfect introduction. Yeah, I think you just, you, you should have not, you should have not said that because someone's going to end up using that as their, their idea. Anyway. <laughs> Hey, you know, you people know me. I'm going to pick a D-lister if he is, but Killer Moth, I would have loved to seen him. I just, my heart is, he, oh, 
it just really goes out for him. He's probably one of my favorite little villains. He just can't get no respect. And, you know, Clue Master, he's all edgy and he can't get no respect either. But I think Killer Moth, you know, he's on the rise and he could have pulled together these people and it would have been such an interesting thing to just go around and pretend to be dumb and at the end he's, he's actually in charge of all the villains and they also go like, whoa, what just happened? I think it'd be great. I've got some and one of them's going to be Someone's gonna get angry, maybe. Well, I don't know. I don't know. I don't <laughs> Someone's know gonna get jokes. angry. No, I don't think anyone here has, but I'm sure someone listening is gonna be like, ah. Uh, I would like to see, like, one. I, I would like to see Dula Dent redone. And I know people mm. say that she's the Joker's daughter, but that's crap because that Joker's daughter character is not Dula Dent. I don't know what the hell that deal is. Yeah, no doubt. But that's just not Dula Dent. I would like to see. I would like to see Dula Dent done properly. Um, I think she would be interesting to see in in, in the new Fifty Two because she is. She, you could go a lot of different ways with her. And the other one, uh, two quick ones. One, I'd like to see the other Clayface explored, Matt Hagen and the rest of them. Um, I think the idea of the mud pack, I know it's an old 90s comic book, but it's one of my favorite. I really like that. I'd love to see a, a modern version of the mud pack. Wouldn't that be kind of cool, really? Yeah, it would be. It would be. Um, I think that'd be neat. And then the one guy that I, I, the other one that I'd like to see is KG Beast. I don't know why, but I'd like Aww. to see a, a, a modern KG Beast. Uh, yeah. I'm not suggesting it be a 12 part Snyder epic. You know, but uh, I think you could have some fun with those guys. All right, next up, Robert Lewis says, Great podcast, really enjoying my time here. Hands down, the best Batman site on the web. No doubt. Who Master, really a low-level villain pulling off such a major act? I don't think so. Well, we agree. Next, Michael Delosier says, Hello, Dustin, Ed, and Stella. As always, thank you for another great podcast. A few comments and questions. I will try to be more concise than usual. If it's not Jim Gordon, the robo-bunny, chappy bat suit, then it's Half Alfred's. Alfred's hand. Just joking, I think. Which brings me to Snyder's treatment of Alfred. While he has had more control and leeway to give given to him than any other writer not named Johns or Morrison in recent memory, I don't think he would be given the green light to kill Alfred. But I feel that if Scott Snyder could permanently get rid of Alfred, he would. And I have a feeling that Alfred would be will have an explained absence for quite a while in the Batman title. In reference to continuity, I can empathize with commentator G.F. Green about episode 155. Stella, I had subscriptions to Captain America, Iron Man, and Incredible Hulk from the late (laughs) 80s to the early 90s. Then Marvel did some horrible reboot with number ones for the books, and I haven't read a Marvel comic since. So I feel my personal experience alone alone, that constant reboots will erode rather than build a reader base in the long run. I also proffer that while I do not read Marvel comics at all, I enjoy their shared cinematic universe, and that shows that the appeal and markability that comes with a long-term established continuity. On a completely different topic, I'm also glad that I didn't collect Batman Eternal. Listening to the reviews, it seems the story could have been told better in 26 issues or less. Finally, after I post this comment, I'm heading over to iTunes to leave a new review for the podcast. And I urge everyone who comments or listens to this podcast to do the same. It takes very little time and is very helpful to and appreciated by the hosts. Put in the work and time to entertain and inform us. Thank you again for all you do. Uh, and then as a quick follow-up, he said, uh, quick note, iTunes won't let me submit a new review for the podcast since I already left a review previously. Aww. I submitted an update for the review and hope it shows up. So I implore listeners who haven't previously left a review to go to iTunes and give a review and rating. Cough, five stars, cough. Well, first of all, Michael, you could just register for another iTunes account with a different email. Oh my goodness. Let me me rephrase what Ed just said. (laughs) Michael, thank you. Thank you for taking the time 
to go and leave us a review. Number one, thank you for also encouraging all other listeners and uh, posters for comments to also leave a review. As Ed stated, you can also create a new account and leave new reviews. That being said, just talking about some of your things, uh, I, I want to say we talked about Alfred's treatment by Snyder in the past. I feel like we have. We have. At least if I, yeah, I, I want to say we already have. He just does not like Alfred. He just doesn't like, it's a sad thing to say, but it really just, I, I think we've said this before too. Snyder doesn't like things that Snyder doesn't create except for Batman as a character, but even then he, he messes around with it. I'm not even going to touch the, the Marvel stuff. I do agree that the Marvel stuff, the cinematic stuff, it is it is nice to have a, a larger continuity, which, I mean, and then the reality of it is, if you look at the world of Hollywood right now, everybody wants to have their cinematic universe. It was just announced that Transformers is going to start producing spinoffs of their own stuff so that they can have their own little universe. It's so that all the studios can have their tent pool, their, their tent pool uh, franchises that are creating, you know, the, a large universe, but you want that stuff to be interconnected. You want that stuff to, you know, build a fan base behind and get behind so that they c- keep coming back and seeing the movies. We've seen this with multiple things in the past, but like the reality of it is that is how everybody, everything is being modeled off of nowadays. You see books that have multiple books. It's not just one book. It's multiple titles interconnecting with each other. And the thing is, it's not like a new thing. Obviously, you go back to like the Hardy Boys, Nancy Drew, Boxcar Children stuff from, you know, back in the day. That stuff obviously was interconnected too. But it took Hollywood a long time to catch up to that. I mean, obviously, there's exceptions to it like Star Wars, the Superman films, things like that that are much, that are older. But the idea of like a giant universe where you can create a ton of movies and release three movies from the same universe in the same year it was unheard of, you know, 10 years ago, if that. I mean, people thought that would have been nuts. I mean, you'd see like the X-Men had their little X-Men universe and it was interconnected, but you still had to wait three years in between films. And now it's, you know, how do you keep getting those people to come back and fill the seats in the theater? You make it so that you can see multiple movies that all connect to the same thing. And it's the same thing with comics. It's the same thing. If you don't build a continuity that that makes sense, you're not going to get people to want to read the other stuff. Now DC seems to have this idea, and I'm not saying it's a bad idea, but DC seems to be having this idea currently where it's, you know, we're looking for individual readers for individual series. And that's not necessarily a bad thing because we're getting a lot of different different types of products. It's not just all the same thing. But at the same time, how many of those people who are reading Backler are going to then go pick up, you know, uh, Red Hood and the Outlaws? Or how many people who are reading uh, Arkham Manor or Gotham by Midnight are then going to go pick up uh, Gotham Academy? It's not going to happen. And the, the problem is individual success for a book it only goes so far. That's why we see these tie-ins that are in some ways unnecessary because it's encouraging readers of Batman to go check out these other books that they might not be checking out. So... The intent is there, but I feel like the death of continuity, as Ed had stated multiple times in the past, has already occurred, and there's just no way around it. It's funny, because I actually am with uh, Michael here, because I don't read Marvel comics, but I do enjoy the, the Avengers universe. Funny thing is, I, I, I like the Avengers, and I'm just saying the Avengers movies, like the Thor and all that yourself, right? I really enjoy those, and I've seen the X-Men ones, they're fine, the, the last one was okay. But, you know, I've never seen the Spider-Man movies. I just don't have any interest in them. So it's weird. But it, it's weird how if it's outside of DC, I'm very picky and choosy. But the reason I think I enjoy the Avengers universe is because it's very interconnected with all these different movies. And even the TV show 
that they have connected, which I think is something DC missed the boat on, which is Marvel has that their TV shows even work into the same Marvel universe. Agents of Shield happens in the same universe. Um, but I think we missed the boat on having Arrow and stuff like that not connected to the DC universe. I understand there's there's logistical issues, but I do feel like that would have made a more more well rounded universe. You know, I'll, I will say I'll, this. I, I just want to piggyback off that comment. I think the one plus side of having the DC TV stuff not interconnected to the movies is that. Part of the problem that, I mean, I watch, I have no problem admitting that I watch S.H.I.E.L.D. because I'm also a fan of the, the Avengers universe and films and stuff. And I watch S.H.I.E.L.D. And the thing is with S.H.I.E.L.D., it, the one thing that I feel like that holds back that show is the fact that because it's intertwined with the movies, they're held back on certain characters that they can use or, you know, how far they can actually explore certain storylines because they can only go so far because they don't know what's coming up in the upcoming movies or they do know what's coming up, but they just can't use that type of stuff. Or, well, we might use this way down the line, so no, we can't use it. Um, there's been some great, you know, I guess arcs, episode arcs of S.H.I.E.L.D., but the one thing that I think has been really good is, you know, the way they're inter, at least DC, even if they're not connecting to the movies, the fact that they're inner, they're connecting themselves to their shows, and now next year we're going to have Supergirl attached. We have another series that they that they have yet to come up with the title for, the spinoff from Arrow and Flash that's coming out possibly mid season next year. And then there's also word on the 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 word out there is that the Titans show that's going to appear on TNT could also be connected. So the fact that we could potentially have five different TV shows airing simultaneously, all interconnected, is awesome. Yeah, I mean. It, that's, that's awesome. I, I, and, and for TV shows to be intertwined like that, I have to say, I would be super thrilled for that because one, I'm enjoying Flash. I'm enjoying Arrow. I'm looking forward to these other shows that are coming. So like to potentially have five different episodes a week that could somehow be within the same universe is awesome. And there's really nothing out there as far as TV that's doing that. I mean, Walking Dead's coming out with their own spinoff show. Breaking Bad ended, then came out with their own spinoff show. There's other shows that have had spinoff shows, but not all happening at the same time. So it's the potential of creating a massive universe, but on television, which is awesome by itself. And if you can have an awesome universe on television, you can have an awesome universe in film, and they're not together, by all means, that's just double fun for me. Double fun. No, I, I listen, I, I agree. In fact, it, it's staggering when you start adding up how many shows, if you're just a comics fan and you watch television, right? How many shows by this point next year will, I mean, you're talking 10, if you start throwing in the, the DC, throwing Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. if you watch that. I know Daredevil's coming out on Netflix. I don't know if I'll watch that, but you put Walking Dead, like, I think iZombie is fun on, on yeah. CW. I mean, it's not, it's not part of the universe, but it's fun. You know, I mean, you're getting like 10 shows. We've got 10 hours a week. And don't forget Gotham. Yeah. And then you got Gotham. There's also, uh, Preacher, Lucifer, all these other shows that have gotten green lights. And Constantine's not dead. That came out a couple days ago. You know, it's so. It's not because it's on the. It's, I was reading an article for the producer said that he has a meeting with them and it looks like they might be taking it to sci-fi. Oh. Yeah. Okay. To do it. Cause NBC and sci-fi, it looks like they might be taking over there to do it, you know, like a 10 episode next year, which is cool. Like, I don't care what network it's on. It doesn't matter to me. You know, um, yeah. so it's just, it's just not working there, but if it goes to cable, it could pretend it'll have the same budget as network. It'll have the same budget and they won't have, we're getting off topic here, but, but Friday night, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to that too. Cause I, by the end of Constantine, the end of the season, good. I was really into that. Yeah, show. it was good. And I think the the guy, uh, Matt Ryan, who plays Constantine does a really good job. 
Way better than Keanu Reeves. Well, see, Keanu Reeves is tough. Again, we said this earlier, like, you should say stuff out loud before you do it. You know, yeah. someone should just have looked in the mirror and said, Keanu Reeves is Constantine. No, he's an American with black hair. I think we should probably move on. But anyway, so that's listener Q&A's great group of questions. Uh, and again, as Michael uh, suggested, if you haven't left a review, please do leave a review on the, for the podcast. It always is great to log in iTunes and see that there's new reviews for the podcast. Those are always really great to see. With that, that is everything for this episode. If it wasn't enough already, uh, you can head over to the website for all the latest news related to movies, TV, merchandise, video games, and of course the comics. Also be sure to check out all the other podcasts that we have to offer on the website, as well as reviews for all of the bat books that we have, detailed synopsises as well for all of the books. So you can check out all of that if you're not picking up every single bat book that exists currently. Um, for the next two months, Convergence is here, and I will, I'm making this announcement right now. I will not be on the comic cast for the next two months as I am going to be taking a, uh, pretty much five year in the making break from the comic cast for the, for Convergence. Uh, we have one of our reviewers on the website, Joshua Paul Hawkins, is going to be coming onto the comic cast along with Ed and Stella as I take two months off. Uh, I'm actually going to be working on something for the website during those two months, but the episodes will still come out every two weeks, and uh, we will be covering a, a good chunk of the Convergence Bat Books. Um, probably not all of them, but we will be reviewing, as I said before, all of the Bat Books on the website for, for Convergence, so definitely check that out. Um, also, I didn't mention it earlier. I, don't, I, I can't believe, I don't know why it slipped my mind, but we actually had two exclusives from DC Comics uh, over the past couple weeks. One was, uh, so there was, for Convergence, they were showing off a bunch of character profiles for some of the upcoming series. So one of them was Nightwing Oracle, and the other one was Batman and the Outsiders. And we were lucky enough to get uh, exclusives for both of those character profiles to showcase the history of the characters as they will appear in the books. Um, so you can definitely check those out on the website to get, you know, into what's about to come with Convergence. Definitely check out some of the books, read the reviews on the website, and I will see you guys back in two months, and Estelle will be back here in two weeks. So that is everything. This is Dustin. This is Ed. And this is Comic Tessa. Comic Cast will be back in two weeks. See you later. Bye.